0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical.
1: Just one more thing.
0: Hey, now. Oh, boy.
1: Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did.
0: <laughs> you want it to be one way. What is the other way? What are these days? Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend.
1: Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that,
2: but of course I couldn't possibly comment.
0: 30 helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening.
2: Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it
1: going? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's going. It's going. It's going. Apparently I need to cheer up.
2: Yeah, and we have—I I, I was going to get there later, but why not? We have a couple new iTunes ratings and reviews. Thank you guys Ooh. so very much. And one of them—this is from Papa Kirkland—you—you you, you have my favorite iTunes review ever. It—it it was a five-star review, and the—the the na- like the title of the review was "Cheer Up, Simon," and the body of the review was "Cheer Up," all caps,
1: <laughs> all caps. It Love may well it. have been mentioned- <laughs> I, people just sometimes throw caps around, not necessarily knowing how they look. So he may not have meant.
2: I think, to he, did. Yell, I think he I think he did. But it
1: certainly looked like he was yelling. So
2: it was hilarious and wonderful. And thank you so much. We also heard from T N N S B A W. In the spa, I'm guessing. As I, I probably just butchered that. Sorry. We appreciate your review, five stars. Um, who they like the chapter markers, the sectioning, and that we are consistent. Speaking of, the show got up a day late, uh, and not like the morning <laughs> late, but like a whole. Day. There was some, there were some server issues. Uh, we really apologize for that. We do, I do work really hard to make sure the show goes up every Tuesday, like clockwork. Hopefully, this one she went does on Tuesday. Gentlemen. Like, lock work. Uh, but, yeah, that should ho- hopefully not happen again. So, I feel I still feel kind of bad about that. But that's my own issues, clearly. We had fun talking with you guys this week. First of all, Beth thinks that I should watch the end of the first season of Elementary. I, I had some time to kill, unfortunately. This past week I was converting video files and, like, taking out chunks for, for this project for... My uh violin studio, and it took literally 12 hours of staring at a screen watching a progress bar. So, yeah, so I ran out of things on the DVR to watch. And so I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll check back in with elementary. People kept telling me it got better at the end of the season, and uh, why not? I have literally nothing else that I can watch right now. And uh, I actually really liked it, so I'm going to write an article this week, and I'm saying it on here so that I have to actually do it, about... Elementary, and how I was wrong about it, and also how I think the reason that I really enjoyed watching it now was that I was watching it as summer viewing. Does that affect your viewing of of shows, particularly dramas, Simon? Like, if you're watching it in the summer as opposed to in the
1: fall? I'm not sure about that because I, I also f- I feel like the summer fall distinction is sort of shrinking every year. Okay, and I you know I I forget which network head was talking about how they sort of want to transition into there being no real seasons or at least not in that sense just you know a, tw- a 20 like a 365 day a year season that isn't thought of as being summer fall winter uh, and i do think that's the way things are eventually going ahead but uh for me personally no i can't i don't I, I don't really think of like i need breezy fun shows in the summer and then heavy ones in the fall and heavier ones in winter i just want heavy and light all the time preferably
2: yeah for me i think it has more to do with there was like i said there was literally nothing else that i wanted to watch that i was able to because i couldn't watch anything on netflix because all of my computing power was being used on these video conversions and uh so there was nothing else fighting for my attention and so i was able to kind of enjoy elementary on its own terms and not as i'm watching this instead of watching something else and i should be watching something else um and that's my own baggage that I shouldn't be bringing to these shows. Anyways, I'm going to explore that this week in, in my article. I also talked with uh, Ken about Doctor Who and sort of the 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 audience reaction over the past season, Adam and Matt, and I talked about sexism in older films, and I think that also ties in with television. When we eventually do a Star Trek original series DVD shelf, which I'm sure will happen eventually, uh, you'll, you'll hear more about my thoughts on this, but I, it it is always frustrating to me that... People people will say, like, put a caveat on recommending a classic film because it's incredibly racist. But I never hear people do that because it's incredibly sexist, and that's uh, something that is a little annoying to me. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. fair enough.
2: That's you know that's so we talked about that a little bit. Uh, Kyle and Ken uh advised me to not watch Strike Back in public. I was gonna watch something on yeah you know, my phone at the gym, and they're uh, like, yeah, don't don't do that one. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show when we get to Strike Back. But thank you for the uh, recommendation. I watched Moon Boy instead, which was a bit more appropriate. Uh, let's see, Breaking Bad and Talking Bad. Uh, we had a little discussion there with Kyle, Ken, Josh, Keith, Les, Cameron, Devin, and, and Nathan. And uh, that was that was fun. Did you check out Talking Bad?
1: Uh, no. And I wish they'd called it anything other than Talking Bad. Because every time I hear that, my brain just wants to punch it's myself in the face. It's talking poorly. Uh, I, I, like, I get I know. Like, I get it. But... Uh, <laughs> well, uh,
2: maybe we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to... Al- it should
1: also be Talking While Being Dead, if we're... If we're <laughs> For as long as we're talking about grammar.
2: But, uh, yeah, that was, I I did check that out. Maybe we'll talk about that when we get to our spotlight, which has returned, the glorious return of the spotlight. Oh my god, it
1: has to be at least eight episodes, if not more. And, And we didn't even discuss it. Like, we always discuss the spotlight, but Kate and I came to the office this morning we're like, "Mup." Uh, and you know, this, and of course this is, we're gonna
2: spotlight. Yeah,
1: this, it wasn't even a discussion, no discussion at all.
2: We knew we were gonna be spotlighting it like all summer. It, like that was a, kind of a given. And then the episode showed up, and spoiler alert, it I loved ruled. it. <laughs> it ruled. It ruled. So of course it was gonna be in the spotlight. So we heard from. We also heard from Mario. And Mario, I'm sorry, I couldn't find your your um your Facebook post to to write it up, but I did have fun talking with Mario this week. And then also Carl. Uh really, again, wanted to emphasize that I should check out season one of Suits, because he's watching that now. And uh, I've also heard from a couple other people this week that maybe season three of Suits is not the most indicative. And maybe I should, you know, because I, I did watch that a couple weeks ago for Make Kate Watch. And maybe I should check out some of season one to really get what all the buzz is about. So I'll consider doing that in the next few weeks. And also for our question of how do you watch Breaking Bad, he's... Carl says that he is still holding on to the idea that the show is really about Walter Wright's desire to be a breakdancer, even though he sucks at it. And uh, he gathers with his breakdance pos- posse to watch it on their electric boogaloo. Boogaloo? Boogaloo. Boogaloo, I apologize. Yes. Uh, but really, he's watching it... Uh, re-watching season five at, at lunch with a friend at work. So he's, he's avoiding spoilers like the plague. And I gotta say, if you are waiting to... Watch this new half of the season until after you finish watching the previous half of the season with your buddy, you're a better friend than I am. I would be all over this new stuff and just be like, oh, no, of course, of course yeah. I didn't, pal. Uh,
1: I, I will say that from what I've seen, Twitter's been remarkably good about not being dicks.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. It was great. I was actually talking with. I want to say, like, Ken or Kyle or somebody on Twitter, you know, because it was just dead. My Twitter feed, normally on Sunday, there's all this TV going on and just, you know, life. And so people are, but no, every, it seemed like everybody that I follow on Twitter, with like two exceptions, were all watching Breaking Bad and not talking.
1: And I didn't get home till almost three in the morning that night to write my review. And, uh, I, and I, it was, it was lovely. It was, thank you. Thank you, Twitterverse. I never say that, but thank you.
2: <laughs> well, and speaking of, uh, at, at Sound on Sight, because you do have a delay, Simon, with, based on your work schedule, when you're able to get the reviews up, though, you'll be getting them up as soon as you can. I will be putting up, I intended to do a recap let and it turned into a yeah. thousand word in depth recap of everything. So I'll be putting, trying to put up as quick as possible a, a recap of each episode. And so then we can have like a space to talk about it I, in the comment section, kind of go back and forth. Cause I have a feeling if y'all are anything like me, you're gonna wanna be talking about Breaking Bad in an environment where if somebody clicked on it, it's their own damn fault if they get spoiled. Exactly. So. So yes, we'll be providing a discussion space at Sound On Site for Breaking Bad every week, hopefully as soon as possible after the episodes air. And then your review will be up when you get home from work.
1: Yes, which will usually not be that late, but life happened. Yeah. It happens sometimes. You know,
2: I, I I don't normally write recaps. Like I, I actively try to have one sentence of recap in any of my reviews and that is it. And so it was a bit of a challenge for me because I kept start like tangenting off into review stuff and they're going,
1: delete, delete. Come yeah. on,
2: Kate. <laughs> so anyway, uh,
1: speaking of delete, yeah. we need to get moving. We do There's So much to talk about.
2: Like I said earlier, I'll put up my article about some reviewing. is just wrapped up. So you can check your uh, ch- check out the monthly theme area, which does have a bunch of those reviews all, all put together. There was a just, Just a creepy picture that was on the front of there for a while for one of the horror movies that screened at Fantasia. So I have a feeling it was a rousing success once again. TIFF will be gearing up here soon.
1: Yes. Uh, Well, yeah, that starts on September 5th.
2: So we have about a month break here, and then uh, we'll be getting back into some more film. But plenty of reviews going up at Sound On Sight, um, especially once we get into the fall TV season. We'll be talking with Stephanie Smith and the DVD Shelf this week about a little-known, little-seen Canadian sci-fi series, Canadian South African sci-fi series, Charlie Jade, which uh, was very interesting.
1: Yeah, that was a, that was a fun one.
2: Yeah. If you if you haven't heard of Charlie Jade, let, okay, let me rephrase. You probably haven't heard of Charlie Jade, but you you should listen to the segment anyways because it's it's a really it's a very interesting show. Some strengths, some weaknesses, but it's I think it's one of the most uh kind of tricky to discuss and it's very complicated. Uh, but it's also I think it's it holds an interesting place in the progression of sci-fi.
1: I, I said it in the segment. And I'll say it again here. It's the weirdest show we've ever discussed yeah and like i always
2: feel the need to say and we've discussed the prisoner so that's saying something yeah that'll be coming up at the end of the show but uh before we get into any of that let's start our week in comedy he
1: won't say anything which means he's probably a terrorist too but what can you expect from a child of divorce?
0: Child terrorists are the worst kind. No morals, fueled by candy and movies on their iPad. I don't think Billy's
1: friend is a terrorist. He's an extraterrestrial. I think you mean to say an extra terrorist drill.
0: No, I didn't. What do you know about aliens, Sam? Well, I mean, I minored in paranormal studies at Sarah Lawrence, so...
1: Aliens don't exist. They were made up by Gene Roddenberry so indoor kids could have something to live for. Isn't that right, e-cigarette-smoking man?
2: This week in comedy we have Make Kate Watch Melissa and Joey Fast Times, Moon Boy Season One finale, The Bell End of an Era, Clear History, which is the Larry David movie, of course, directed by Greg Matola, and that's was at HBO this this past week. Wilfred Confrontation, Children's Hospital, word, NTSF S D S U V Extra Reel. And uh, I still I always love their titles. Anyways, let's let's jump in with Make Kate watch Melissa and Joey. Jason Jason, Jason. Jason voted three times for make Kate watch Melissa and Joey because I, I opened the poll up to that uh, to tampering and uh, and really it is the Chicago way vote early vote often uh, so I can't really complain too much but this okay for you don't even know what the show is as I understand it Simon nope this is a comedy on it's a sitcom on ABC Family starring Melissa Joan Hart and Joey Lawrence and Melissa Joan Hart's character is a public official of some sort a politician um, and She has a younger niece and nephew, who are like teens, and after all his money gets taken in a Ponzi scheme, apparently, she hires Joey Lawrence to be the the nanny, or to to caretaker for for her niece and nephew, and I'm surprised I haven't bust a gut here, because Simon is doing a very convincing, dead-eyed new situation, and now he's got a knife. Going across his throat there. Yeah. So um, I grew up watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I did not have cable, so we didn't. I, I do did not have a familiarity with uh, Clarissa Explains at all. But I also watched some Blossom in my day. So I have an affinity for these two lead uh, actors or um, personalities as they're sort of treated here. I think Joy Lawrence is much stronger in this than Melissa Joan Hart. There's some parts of it that work better than others. Uh, but really... Most of it was it was either painful or or, or forgettable. With a, every now and again, there would be you know really I th- I think actually Joey Lawrence is uh or Joseph Lawrence I don't know what he's going by at this point is is a really nice presence on the show. I don't know how he would be if he was thrown into a sitcom full of of actors that were better or or the people I was more engaged with but here i think he does he he's playing the straight man most of the time and he does it he does it pretty well um and i get people who have an affinity for these car- these performers enjoying the show it's it's nondescript enough to to really kind of you can just get into the very sitcom-y th- situation that's going on and you know enjoy that for what it for what it is so it's not offensive it's not particularly memorable but now at least i have an idea of what the show is because i've been curious about it for a while so light 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 fluff sure i guess which is some faint praise if ever there were for melissa and joey in contrast moonboy season one finale was just as awesome as the rest of season one and i can't wait for you to catch up with moonboy it's that it's definitely in contention uh for my top five comedies of the year so, yeah, I really love this show. This was all about the main character graduating and going to he's going to be going to the Irish equivalent of middle school in the next year. And so he's leaving the school and will be going up the next grade. We, there's lots of end of school uh, stuff going on. There's a, um actually thinking about it, the sort of the parents relationship with the kids is more of a uh, Malcolm in the middle kind of. Uh, these what, what the hell are we going to do with ourselves having these kids around all summer kind of situation. Um, and I enjoy that dynamic. And it just it, it was it's a really fun show. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's all available on Hulu if you live in the States. So check out season one of Moonboy. We also had Clear History and I did not check that one out and you did.
1: Right. So this is a hundred five minute TV movie directed by Greg Mottola, co-written by Larry David and some other folk. It stars Larry David and John Hamm and Bill Hader and Kate Hudson and Michael Keaton.
2: He should be in everything.
1: And a whole bunch of other people. Liev Schreiber, who's not even credited.
2: Yeah. As Andrew said, he wasn't allowed to be credited. That's the only way he could do it since he's currently on Showtime. Yeah,
1: some sort of weird... They own him or something. Anyway, uh, so I guess... Considering all the people involved and the time and effort spent on it, I was hoping it would be a little bit more ambitious. But it basically feels like I, you know, the the production schedule for Curb Your Enthusiasm, as many people know, is whenever Larry David feels like writing it and making it and shooting it. And it was kind of like uh, sort of like the Proto-Louis, I suppose. And this kind of feels like what he's doing instead of a season of Curb. And it's kind of too bad because it's so Kirby Enthusiasm-like and it, the parts that aren't, like the, the parts that kind of hint at pathos for like a minute that feel like, okay, this is something different. He's playing a different sort of character. This is a different kind of environment. They last for about 30 seconds at a time and then it's right back to wacky, not public domain music, but sounds like a lot like, the, what, like what they're using on Curb. Uh, the joke setups and payoffs are very, very similar to what you get on Curb I, I would say less funny than Curb at its best. There's some good gags here and there. It's it's just great to see Michael Keaton, although it took me a while to recognize him, and he does appear to be making somewhat of a comeback in the next year and a bit. But, uh, I don't know, I guess I was. it was so unambitious and so everything that you know it's going to be from the first five minutes that I couldn't help but be a little disappointed. But, it, you know, it was a thoroughly passable hundred minutes. And, okay. yeah, that's. I wish I had more nice things to say, but considering the 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 star wattage i was hoping for a little more and and i and i and i like greg, greg matel a lot ventureland is one of my favorite studio comedies in the last decade and uh he's not doing it for me lately get i'm um, i'm i'm hoping he gets a little more ambitious too but
2: meh. We'll see. Well, let's move on to Wilfred Confrontation, which, of course, featured uh, uh, the return of Mary Steenburgen as Ryan's mom and, of, and of course, James Remar, Remar as his dad. And it was Christmas and Christmas with the family. And uh, I'm curious what you thought of this episode, how the, the much-anticipated um, portrayal of the father worked for you with everything else, and um, what you think about where the season is sort of looking like it's heading for the end.
1: I thought the way they they wrote uh, the father and the way James Remar played him was really smart. He wasn't, you know, he's not like a three-eyed googly monster. He's just kind of an asshole. And he's not like an over-the-top asshole. And he's the sort of asshole who doesn't necessarily know all the time when he's being an asshole, although he certainly knows some of the time. And that's the sort of figure that you could see having, you know, a really disastrous effect on a child but not necessarily the sort of person who's going to seem scary as hell when you see them in the flesh again in life, which I think is part of the reason why Ryan is able to kind of handle it. Um, I thought it was a sweet episode, not the funniest, although there were some quality Wilfred cracks in there uh, from time to time. I thought doing a Christmas episode in August is ballsy. I mean, it's obviously Wilfred's never going to be able to do a Christmas episode at Christmas, so, you know, why not? Um, they uh, – I. I thought it was a good mix of sweet and kind of kind of sad at times and funny, but you know not as bracing as Wilfred is at at its best, but thoroughly pleasant to watch. i thought
2: yeah, the I think you're right about the the dad being a very sort of slotting in nicely with certain elements of our expectations for him the but it was the performance didn't really work for me for about half of the scenes, and that's because it felt like. Uh, depending on if he was directed this way or if this was the actor's choice, it just seemed like way too much of a blatant copy of what um uh what what Elijah Wood is doing as Ryan. So many of the mannerisms were exactly Ryan. Things that he has said in the past, way like his inflections, like when they're talking about the year of wine, he's like, eh. like that. That's all stuff that Ryan has done. That choice to have him basically be a slightly more dickish version of himself. I mean, that's something that's very true. Often, the, the the traits that we get more most frustrated at in other people are the ones that we have ourselves right. and that we m- maybe aren't as proud of. And so that that really made sense for me. But just it felt really half of, like half of the scenes with the father. The performance felt really mannered to me. I didn't. It didn't. I didn't buy James Remar in some of that, and then in other parts of it, I thought it worked really great. All the stuff at the dinner table, for the most part, with um, all the interactions with Mary Steenburgen, really worked for me. So it's just it was really. It felt like he was doing a Ryan impression on, okay. in half the scenes. And and the, the scenes where the show wasn't trying to be like, look, he's just like Brian. Those really worked for me. And I, I actually have a lot of respect for James Remar as an actor. I've really enjoyed him in the past, and generally I've really enjoyed his work. So it was very odd to me to not be liking a, a James Remar performance. Uh, so As for the, the twist at the end where it's actually um, Kristen's picture, I really don't care about the picture. So I kind of wish they would stop bringing it up, but uh, I understand that there are lots of fans who really enjoy that that element to the show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's cool, and I absolutely agree. There were there were several really good laughs. I laughed out loud several times. Yes. So I think it was actually maybe one of the funnier episodes of the season for me. Yes,
1: uh, certainly. I I I, I was. Pumpkin scented is all I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh, that was that was a good line.
2: Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to Children's Hospital and NTSFSDSUV. We have the the time loop episode of Children's Hospital. I thought that was delightful. That it's not actually a time loop.
1: Yeah, well, th- that corner of the episode was really funny, and I think uh, Rob Hubel did a great job with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, the actual a plot of the episode, which had to do with a charity event, and then that very bizarre. Uh, Closing sequence was... I I guess I, I admired their moxie for that, but didn't actually find it all that funny. So, for me, it was slightly off Children's Hospital. I did really like NTSF. I think they're... Uh, I, I just needed, I mean, I don't want to be a broken record, but I'm still really, really getting a huge kick out of Karen Gillan and her casual cruelty. Love it! So uh, good. I, I like that. I, I feel like she took the gig, if only just to subvert everyone's expectations of what a Karen Gillan character should be like. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've, I've really enjoyed that. And uh, I particularly enjoyed Kate Mulgrew and her Star Trek dig.
2: Yeah, that was that was. That was fun. Uh, as for Children's Hospital, one of the things I do want to mention is I love the subversion of expectations with Megan Mullally. Of course, she was on Broadway and uh, has has a very... Uh, Powerful, interesting, distinctive voice, and she's very talented as a singer. And so I love the choice to have. Oh, she's gonna sing. And we're like, oh, okay. She's gonna be a singer, and then the no, they dub her with <laughs> completely different. Yep. That was. I loved that. That was such a great choice. And uh, and then as for NTSF, I 100% agree. Because I, I, I'm worried that people won't believe me when I'm saying this because I am such a, a Who fan, and I did really enjoy most of Gillan's performance on, on uh, doctor who but she's just great here she she fits so perfectly with this ensemble and the character they've given her is just just so much fun and i look forward to like i wasn't completely sold on her as the main baddie or one of the main baddies in guardians of the galaxy but after this and hearing that guardians of the galaxy is going to be more comedic in its approach i can't wait to see her in that. And uh, the, the rest of the cast is, of course, still fantastic. I, I really do think that that one-two punch of Children's and NTSF is the most reliable comedy that's going on since Venture Brothers went off the air, at least. So yeah. it was nice to sort of see them pick up the torch of really reliable, hilarious comedy.
1: I've actually begun to think of them as the same show, kind of. Like, yeah. Like, like a two-part show.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm good with that.
1: Which I kind of wish there was more stuff like that. Like every week, oh, it's the this and this yeah Block. great
2: yeah well and that's, that is what the networks went for for so long it's TGIF and they're all gonna kind of fit together
1: hey if only they made all their shows 11 minutes long
2: there you go there you go so what wins the week in comedy for you
1: I'll give it to NTSF having not seen Moonboy
2: yeah I'm gonna give it to Moonboy uh, though I did very much enjoy NTSF and uh, Children's as well so so let's take a break and come back with our week in
0: reality <music> or later you're certain to meet in the bedroom, the parlor, or even the street there's no place on earth you're likely to miss her kiss but there's only one pin that can puncture such bliss her kiss sooner or later you bathe in success and your millions salute, they say nothing But yes, but your power is empty It fades like the mist Once you've been killed
2: week in reality, we have So You Think You Can Dance, Top Chef Masters, and Hollywood Game Night. And Hollywood Game Night was fun. Top Chef Masters was Top Chef Masters. They look like they are amazing chefs. I wish I could taste the food. I don't like all the bullshit. But this is going <laughs> to be the Let's leather praise on So You Think You Can Dance uh, chunk of the show, at least for me. Because I think this is the, be- the most consistent and perhaps the single best episode of So You Think You Can Dance that I have ever seen. I loved this week's episode.
1: Wow, I mean, it was good. It was good. I'll give you that. I, I gave it. Maybe you overhyped it for me, but I thought there was only maybe two or three routines that really blew me away. Okay. Yeah, you I'm just, making she, my surprise face. Uh, your surprise face. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say the the waltz was great. The uh, ladies' group number was uh, was was quite nice. I'll, I mean, the Lana Del Rey was a little bit on the nose, but it was a good choice. I I can't front on that. Uh, let's see what else is really good. I mean, Aaron and Jasmine are always great, but I didn't think it was all that striking for them, really. It was another good routine, but not as memorable as the, uh, as the Apple, obviously. Uh, what else was there that I'm forgetting about?
2: Well, I'm, once I start, I'm just going to keep going. So anything else that, you know, what about you think about the, the celebrity or the guest judge?
1: Uh, guest judge was, was great. It's nice to see an unfamiliar face who's actually, uh, who was, I thought, uh, more qualified than most of the. Uh, people they bring in i think that's uh, they should be doing that probably every other week and not every third or fourth week Mm -hmm. uh, as they've been doing Uh, amy and fiction were great as well i think it's a shame that they're going to be broken up uh, but i am interested to see what happens with them afterwards i was not at all surprised to see Melise and alan go home after the episode that we just watched to me it was the logical conclusion i mean if you told me that last week i would have been surprised at least about Melise, but this week not so surprising
2: Okay, yeah. And I would, uh, I do have to give her some props though, because I thought her solo was great. I really enjoyed her solo. I thought she was better than Amy in the solos. At least it worked for me a little better. Amy's felt a little too, uh, first of all, I was shocked. Shocked to see Amy in the bottom after last week's Mm -hmm. adorableness. Are you kidding me? But, anyways, when she did that flip and she just landed so softly, I just really liked all of the solos. I mean, and I thought Alan brought it on his solo too. But,. I wasn't surprised to see who went home either. I think it, just, it shows the quality of, of the top group of dancers this year. But uh, so we opened with the Bollywood number, which was adorable and fun and makes so much sense for a group number that apparently this is only the second time they've done that on So You Think You Can Dance. And it the only thing I can figure is that it's just really hard. And yeah. and that's why they don't do it more. Because when you have a big group, like when you have these, see these Bollywood numbers you often, it's it's a, whole, a group of women and a group of men sort of doing the same routine all in unison. So you don't feel like it's weird or rep, rep, repetitious that you just have a group of people doing the same thing. It fits in the genre. Yeah. And so it just feels like such a natural fit when you have this group of, like, 20 dancers. You're like, what am I going to, how am I going to chore- do choreography for 20 different people and still keep it interesting? Do a Bollywood number. But Anyway, so I really like that. It wasn't as technically proficient, maybe as you would hope, but there was so much energy that it really worked for me. Then we had that badass Broadway number, one of the absolute best Broadway numbers I've seen on the show, "Kiss of the Spider Woman," and I was like, "Hello, Haley and Nico. It's so, it's really unfortunate that you guys weren't paired together earlier."
1: They were really great. Although, was it my imagination or, <laughs> and I felt really bad about this because they they kept talking about the the vocalist uh, on the track, but Cheetah Rivera. God, I really hated that song. (laughs) really hated it.
2: You're wrong, but that's okay.
1: The vocals were great. The song sucked. I'm sorry. It sucked.
2: No, Uh... you're wrong. That's okay, though. You're allowed to be wrong. I'm allowed to be wrong. You're allowed to
1: be wrong. The the lyrics were so clunky. Anyway, sorry. I'm done. I'm done.
2: Okay. Uh, I thought the dance was fantastic. And the, the, the through line this week for me for the dances that really worked is the people who acted. As well yeah. as danced, and the I, the story was a hundred percent there in that dance, and and it just when by the time we get to the very end, she's like pulling up his soul through his chest. I mean, it was great. I loved it. Then we had uh, a kind of iffy Melissa um, and Alan number that if they had executed it, that would have been so perfectly me, inspired by the Gene Kelly musicals of the like MGM era that's my bag that is my wheelhouse I love that stuff and there was like when I was watching them rehearse I was like oh this is gonna be so good and then they weren't able to really connect and make it work which was disappointing then we had Jenna's Paso with Alex uh who's of course one of the all-stars and that one didn't work for me very well and uh, I thought Alex just kind of blew her out of the water even though she's a ballroom person and he's ballet uh, and a big part of it was probably just that the camera wouldn't shut the hell up and stop moving and yeah. and, and so maybe because the people in the room seemed to really like it but it was it did not work for me at all um and actually i'm a, kind of okay with that because then i can be okay with somebody being in the bottom getting sent home next week so that you know doesn't bother me to have one off dance but the last two i just uh, the last three actually the second time i watched the episode i really liked the paul and Mackenzie number a lot more the first time it didn't work for me as well i was just kind of like ah. Eh. But the second time I watched it, I thought it was beautiful, really well uh, executed, good choreography. I didn't get the story at all, but just the emotion that was, was really clear. I really liked that number. And then the waltz, I just was like getting misty all over. I just, you know, every time I watched it like three or four times and that that's a perfect encapsulation, of the emotion that they're able to get out of that. It's a perfect encapsulation of what I love about the Viennese waltz and what it seems like. Nobody on the show gets totally. right. It's so...
1: Although I think that was also a, a function of really nice lighting and music pairing.
2: Yeah, and also their performance. And costuming. And, costuming. and yes, the performance. The whole thing it just kind of came together. But the the thing about the Viennese Waltz that I love is that, unlike many of the other ballroom styles, there's a parody to both dancers. It's not... It doesn't have the same uh, being led like there is in the uh in in a lot of the latin ballroom stuff where like if you're doing the tango if the guy knows what he's doing the girl doesn't have to necessarily and that is not the case in the waltz they, ha- they have to be perfectly in sync they have to like cuz they're even doing spins and stuff next to each other where if they're not 100% in both really together it doesn't it doesn't work and uh it's just such a beautiful romantic side There has to be such confidence and such trust and um i thought they executed it beautifully. It shows exactly why I love the Beanie's Waltz. And then the last number was Hip Hop with Jasmine and, and Aaron, and I thought they rocked it. I thought they were great. Aaron was so strong. And Jasmine, Jasmine, you know, when I compare that performance to Melissa a couple weeks ago, which was getting all of this praise, it's like, no, 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 no. Jasmine was rocking it. I thought she was great. So it was it was really cute and really fun. And uh, and also just, you know, really was one of the hip hop numbers I'm definitely going to remember at the end of the at the end of the season. And then the guys number I thought was really cool with the rope. I thought that worked really well. And then the eh, I was kind of on that. No, yeah, it worked for me. I thought it was cool. Like, and then Aaron had the breakdown thing, and uh, I thought Alan did pretty well in that one too. I, I thought it featured the guys pretty well, and uh, I like. I thought the the last, like the opening moment, worked really well for me. The closing moment worked really well for me, and I thought the women did a beautiful job as well. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, it was just incredibly consistent, and I thought I thought it was great. Who are, who would you send home?
1: That's a good question. Um... Well, I mean, they're all going on tour, so they're all going to be getting something out of it anyway. Yeah. So I guess you don't have to feel too bad at this point. Uh, but watching would... this
2: episode, who are the two women you would put in the bottom, and who's the one guy you would put in the bottom with Tucker because he couldn't God. dance?
1: I I don't even know at this point. There's, like, maybe... Tucker uh... I don't know. I don't know. I Everyone's too good at this point. It gets to that point where I, just, I have no real vested interest except that I want to see Aaron and Jasmine win.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll see how everybody does not being able to rely on the partnerships they've established over these past weeks. Because I was thinking about it, like Aaron or Jasmine, if the other one wasn't also in the competition this season, I think they'd kind of be screwed. Like, if Aaron wasn't in the competition jasmine would have been gone a while ago i think because who is she gonna dance with where it's gonna work the same way yeah you know that's true it's really it's been it's been interesting to think about that and i don't know how well fiction's gonna do without amy without that like chemistry that they've built up outside of his like his area but um yeah i thought it was great i'm gonna stop talking because i'm just gonna keep going oh my god it was so good so let's let's move on shall we to our our weekend drama
1: yes let's please do that
0: is this the right time to ask why you date men like this no It's not. It's not the right time. All right. Because you don't know they're like that until they are. But they are a lot with you, and There's no way to tell, Don. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. You don't. I don't believe that someone who is capable of this, that a shithead this big, is able to keep it a secret from someone they've been dating for seven weeks. You're saying I knew he was like this but didn't care. I'm saying you don't have a very high opinion of yourself, and I don't get it. And since is not the right time, let me also say if it had been a woman who had done this, her friends would be saying, you go, girl.
1: I promise you he's getting that right now from his friends in arbitrage.
0: No. That's the difference. Deep down, they think he's an asshole. He's an asshole right on top. Oh, no, they, uh, his friends in arbitrage. Yeah, I know. I was making a joke. You are really? You're impressive.
2: This week in drama, I think, I think just the TV gods heard us ragging on the dramas last week and saying that, you know, the comedy brought it, but the drama didn't really, and they struck back with a fiery vengeance. Ah, (laughs) struck back. Oh, yeah. We had Nine for Nine, The Diplomat, the pilot for The White Queen on Stars In Love with the King, The Low Winter Sun pilot, the strike-back Shadow Warfare premiere, True Blood, Life Matters, The Newsroom, Newsnight with Will McAvoy, and The Bridge, The Beast. So I'm going to start with Nine for Nine, The Diplomat. Much like the Swoops episode last week, Or or, or documentary, I should say. This one felt, I felt like it suffered at a certain point due to its over involvement of the subject, which is Katarina Witt, because the, it just felt like I wasn't seeing enough of the criticism of her. They talked briefly about the people in the, in East, East Berlin and East Germany being upset when they found out that she was, you know, as far as things go in, in, East East Germany living in luxury while everybody else didn't because she was this celebrity and she you know kept you know was able to win these uh these gold medals and 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 help out the public image of of East Germany but there was the, there were certain like all the more troubling elements to this were really glossed over it seemed and uh, that that was disappointing so I was hoping for this this documentary to be a lot more interesting than it was because I don't know much about this time period and I think there's a fascinating documentary. To be made, but unfortunately I think this one wasn't really it. Then we had the Queen White Queen Pilot on Stars. This uh series aired in its entirety in the UK already and now is airing, re-airing on Stars. This is about uh War of the Roses. It's based on a book by Philip I want to say Boyles. And uh um, Boyles, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and parts of this I thought worked just fine. I actually really like a lot of the casting of the women uh, the 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 main character's mom, I think it, her performance is is particularly strong, and uh, there are other other standouts in the cast as well. the The main center relationship here is that of our our lead Elizabeth Gray and the King, and the, apparently they just she just falls in love with him when she sees him getting off his horse, and taking off his helmet. And they, 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 there's zero amount of energy put into establishing that at all, and I don't understand why. And then this, like their second date or whatever, walking around, he tries to rape her, and uh, she's then later talking about like how she, she, she's she pulls his dagger on him, and then puts it, puts it on herself so that she, it's she's not threatening the king to get him to get her to get him to stop raping her and then and then so then he leaves and then later she's talking about how if he lives she she's in trouble because he's all pissed off at her and he's the king and if he dies she'll never forgive herself for not sleeping with him and she already feels bad that she didn't cuz she just loves him so much but she's not willing to be his like i'm like oh my god
1: what, wow who
2: thought this was uh, like and i'm supposed to be rooting for this are you kidding me this is what you're ah so there's some <laughs> really problematic stuff in here and uh, I, I doubt i will tune back in even though there's a lot of really strong women in it the fact that this is how they're establishing their relationship i was like wow so much in the way that the unnecessary rape scene in Bates Motel really told me where some of their priorities were on that show and meant that I wasn't going to tune back in. That's pretty much the case here with the White Queen. So, uh, yeah, our, having our romantic lead, yeah, try to rape our female romantic lead, and then her talking about this later that same day, I, oh, I wish I hadn't, you know, I, I shouldn't have refused him, and I already regret it, and... I just love him so much. If he dies, I'll never forgive myself for not having slept with him. Like, wow, guys. Just, it's sort of stunning to me. And that kind of overshadowed everything else. So that's where I'm at with the White Queen pilot. I'm sure there are many people who you will enjoy the romance novel element here. And there's a little bit of magic and there's a lot of intrigue. And it's an interesting period in in British history. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I feel nope. like that's that's enough. Enough said. Okay, let's move on to Low Winter Sun, which had its pilot right after Breaking Bad, and it didn't benefit from its proximity to Breaking Bad, I don't think.
1: No. Holy crap. Uh, this It was amazing how no one wanted to talk about this after it aired. No one. I mean, I get it's it's like the Breaking Bad time. It's Everyone wants to talk Breaking Bad, but still, no one wants to talk about this. And uh, as a result, I was dreading watching it. So admittedly, my expectations were low, and they were met. Uh, I mean, I just don't understand. I can understand AMC thinking there are interesting things about some aspects of the premise, and certainly the setting, and certainly the cast. I do not understand AMC thinking this will be successful. Yeah, That's the aspect I don't get. Like, yeah. What is the hook for this show? Dirty Cops? It's been done. Detroit? Maybe, but it... it, it that's not really a huge element.
2: Did not feel like Detroit was a character here at all. Yeah,
1: not yet. Maybe that happens later. I uh, I've seen that indicated in some places, but didn't help here. Uh, the ca- I mean, Mark. Str- do people care enough about Mark Strong? I don't think so. I, I do like Mark Strong. A I lot. like I think Mark he's done Strong, some, but he's done yeah. some great work, but I don't think he's a hook for people. Uh, I don't see this going any. It feel. It, it's just. It's another hell on wheels situation, basically. Yeah,
2: hell on wheels. Ray Donovan. I mean I I negative care about Mark Strong's character who is supposed to be our our hook into this world. I get the impression at least based on this pilot it seems like he's who's who we're going to follow and he's who we're supposed to care about and I don't. I really don't care about this guy because they don't do anything to flesh out his his character other than he's troubled, you know, and uh and having the the one female cop uh clearly have romantic interest in him you know, doesn't help either. Because, uh, I, I don't know, just they, the, the characters, with certain exceptions, feel very thinly drawn, and it's just, it's it's surprisingly um, poorly really conceived and executed as far as i'm concerned good actors good it looks good and all
1: of that stuff it looks okay there's not it's no style though it's there's no no flair there's nothing interesting there's nothing distinctive it it looks or is and the writing is super clunky i I don't want to spend any more time on this i'm done thinking about it
2: lenny james is good he's like the the good thing he's all right
1: james Ranson is there he's kind of interesting to watch but it's a stupid plot line
2: oh and um gail
1: david costabile is good yeah and,
2: uh, he, I, and i actually really like seeing him on this playing such a different character i really enjoyed him actually on this But that's not enough
1: probably the best part billy lush is in it he's got a great name let's move on
2: yeah let's move on to the shows we care to talk i'm, I'm not checking back in are you checking back in you no know,
1: unless i hear it somehow transformed itself into uh, into being awesome which i don't think is gonna happen
2: yeah instead we're gonna talk about uh the strike back shadow warfare premiere have you seen any other strike back
1: Never. Uh, all I know is Alan Sepinwall is a huge fan, and I, I've I've, re- I've read some of what he's written about it, and I knew to expect explosions and sex and gunfire, and that's all I knew.
2: Yeah, and I went to the panel at Comic Con, so actually, I had seen probably like maybe even a third of this pilot in clip form at Comic Con, uh, which was which interesting, uh, and and. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it either and I just we, you know, we talked on Twitter about it a little bit with some people a couple weeks ago and so I just knew to expect explosions and B-movie kind of level entertainment. What did you think?
1: I had fun with it. It it, it felt like a more uh so I guess a grittier uh version of something like Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. With yeah, you, know, you know uh I I'm not sure how to explain the difference. It's not quite as breezy as Burn Notice, but it has some of the same kind of corny humor. Uh, The cast is likable. I haven't seen Rona Mitra in a very long time uh, that I can think of, so it was nice to see her again. Uh, To me, it's incredibly obvious who sold them out, and I'm just going to wait a couple episodes for them to figure that one out, because it's always the same person in every action or conspiracy movie or series ever. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, the, I thought the action was well shot and choreographed, uh, and not excessively violent. All things considered, it was fairly vi- it was quite violent, mm-hmm. but you know I've seen far worse. Uh, the sex was not as gr- quite as gratuitous as gr- gratuitous as I've been led to expect. Although there's a little near the beginning, uh, I don't know. It was a nice breezy watch. Uh, I think it's a good pairing with something like Breaking Bad, so you can decompress for a minute.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it. They they capture the fun of like an eighties action movie kind of a and I feel like that's what they're going for, or or a B movie kind of thing. The the rapport between the, the cast is very strong, especially our two like kind of buddy cop leads. Uh they, they clearly like they, they're on season four here. They they've been working together for a while and you can see that 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 comfort level. Watching them talk about at Comic Con, they the way that they emphasize authenticity with the physicality and just the technical elements of the show as far as portraying uh, military or ex-military I think that comes through really really well I believed them in in these roles uh, I didn't I had trouble believing her because she's just so tiny so when she's punching out the giant I'm like that
1: no I, I will say that the the editing trick in that sequence really bugged me yeah uh, that cross-cutting with the shower was uh, that was cheap I didn't enjoy that at all but um I, I I don't know like I, I agree about the physicality, I think that, and I think what's great about the show, and I think why people like Seven Wall are such huge advocates or possibly only Seven Wall. <laughs> uh, it's entirely possible is that if you look at other action series recently that have tried to do this sort of thing, they even a show like Graceland like it tries to throw in this portentousness, yeah, and it it doesn't work like it needs to be something like this where it's just so fast-paced and and with these fun characters who in, who are good at what they do and and most of the time enjoy doing it even if they would rather be getting blown in the Americas mm-hmm. um you know it's it's a much and, and even when things do get serious from time to time like obviously they blow up they, they blow off the head of a former series regular in the opening <laughs> scene so that's something uh something not a lot of other shows would do probably but um i, I think it's got a a very good grasp on tone which is yeah. nice to see
2: yeah, and it's fun, and that's what the like the number one of this, you know.
1: It's the watchword,
2: and and it looks it looks very good because they shoot it very in, good in in South Africa. It looks like so it looks distinctive. It looks uh it looks great,
1: and it doesn't feel cheap.
2: And it's a it's a Friday it's a Friday night show. It, this feels like a good fun you know start to your weekend. So I don't know if I'll check back in. It depends as the TV you know landscape gets more cluttered. This one may fall to the side, but I have a feeling that when I do eventually catch up, if I get behind, that I will have a lot of fun marathoning this. This feels like a really fun marathon kind of show. Definitely. Let's move on to True Blood, Life Matters. All I have for this one is are three things. First of all, I'm very glad that the werewolves are pretty much all gone, as far as I can tell at this point. Uh, hopefully that stays this way, the same way. Elsie needs a haircut, but whatever. Um, number two, uh, dear, sweet baby Jesus, over-the-top Christ symbolism. I mean, come on, True Blood. I don't expect much of you, but I expect slightly less didactic than that. And, and third <laughs> of all, I really cared about Terry as a character. I thought, you know, I really enjoyed that performance and his role in the show, but we. This is like the third episode in a row dealing with his death, and that's way too much time to be spending on one character's death.
1: On a show where half the characters should be dead, yes, my big issue with this episode was the flashback with Terry where where he looks at the catfish, he's like, all life is precious. <laughs> it's like, is all life precious though? Because we just saw <laughs> Eric, well we didn't see it, but Eric just like tore open 30 soldiers Yeah, and no one cared. And then and then, you know, Jason came to and was all gung ho and nearly shot Anna Camp's face off. And really, all life is precious. Really, we're trying to you're trying to convince me of that true blood or that anyone else thinks that on true blood. So it, it was just like a weird whiplash effect when I was I was watching two totally different shows. Yeah, uh, and I wasn't sure how I when they were cross cutting near the end. I have no idea what kind of effect they were going for there at all.
2: I will say though that the the whole funeral may have been, and all the various flashbacks. I feel like the only reason those other flashbacks were there, besides to to have that fun moment with Lafayette, which was great. I missed that Lafayette. I would like to see that Lafayette more on the show. Um, but the 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 flashback with Suki and that effect at the funeral with with carrie preston arlene and everything i thought that was beautiful and that was really nice so did i need anywhere near as many scenes as they had at the funeral no but that was a very nice moment and carrie preston continues to be
1: awesome and i loved lafayette's suit holy crap oh yeah
2: lafayette was looking good uh love love when uh when they let him you know really go out in style around town uh as far as uh the other stuff goes i gotta give props to kwanson who i thought was the the mvp of his half of the of the episode and that the confrontation with Anna Camp. i really wanted them to kill her not necessarily him jason If if they were going to do that that would have been an interesting direction to take the show but it would also make one of their only light comedic characters very dark I don't think they're willing to do that, uh, but I was really hoping she'd get her face ripped off by one of the vampires who would like come out just as Jason was letting her go and kill her. I don't know. Well, we
1: did at least get Steve Newland's death, which was pretty great.
2: Yes, and, and <laughs> finally, uh, any other <laughs> thoughts on the, uh, the 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 rest of uh, True Blood? Next week is the finale. What's left for the finale? The
1: I guess something with Sookie and Warlow. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about that at all.
2: Nah, yeah, I really don't either. Um, Let's move on to the newsroom then. Newsnight with Will McAvoy, and let's just continue the Olivia Munn love train from last week. Uh, Yeah, you know, she
1: she is very good this week, and her plotline works, I think, pretty much in its entirety. But I think more broadly, this is the best episode of the newsroom ever. Can I just say that? And it might even be the best episode they will ever do. Uh, and I think the reason is that this is the format the show should always have had and should always have going forward. No, un- you don't need these complicated flashbacks and flash forwards. We don't need trips to Africa. What we need is them doing the show. This, this episode takes place almost in real time. There's, some, there's a little bit of time before the show, a little bit of time after. That's fine. Uh, but the actual chunk of the episode that takes place more or less live while the show is happening He's compelling. Every single storyline had something compelling in it. Some more than others, obviously, but everything actually worked. Yeah. What happened?
2: <laughs> well, I, I do want to talk about the Olivia Munn uh yeah, sure. Sloan storyline, but we can get there later. Uh, there, there are several details that really work for me here. I, I was having a lot of fun watching this episode, trying to decide if I thought that Mac knows that his father used to hit him cuz I don't know that she would be pushing for him trying to make his father happy in the same way if she knew about that right. or if she's if she still would because she knows what it means to to him to will to not be burdened by that relationship to you know I I, I don't know I thought that, that was really interesting to me and I I like that it we, it could go either way right now. I think that's interesting. I also really liked, a detail I really liked was that brief moment with Dev Patel, because I do really like Dev Patel. I just don't necessarily like everything they settle with him, where mm-hmm. he's like, seriously, guys, who is my boss? This is, it's all cute <laughs> and funny. You know, it's very sitcom yeah. and His Girl Friday and everything to be constantly yelling at me back and forth like this, but it's it it's getting old. I appreciate that they let that not be a comedic moment.
1: Yeah, and are you going to pay me for this extra stuff? Yeah. Oh, it's good. <laughs> um yeah. the uh yeah that worked for a change the stuff with Allison pill more or less worked for a change mm-hmm. uh the um the stuff i didn't i'm not sure i needed the stuff hinting at his relationship relationship with grace gummer No. um I, and i'm who i'm sure will pop will probably become part of the acn team at some <laughs> point uh i liked all the scenes with sam watterson and his old pal mm-hmm. spook uh i mean sam watterson is clearly having a blast on the show but uh, it was nice to, for him to get some semi-serious material also for most of an episode. Uh, and Hey, we had no Jane Fonda. We had no Jane Fonda's annoying son. We had no. OWS. Yes, we did have,
2: we did have Chris Messina here and I continue to enjoy his performance. I just like counterpointing this performance versus, uh, Danny on, on Mindy, but at the very beginning with Sloan, we did get some with him. What?
1: Oh yeah. For like two minutes. Fine. But, but not as a, as an emphasis, not as like the whole stupid blackmail thing. Um, and we did, yeah, no OWS bullshit. Uh, the George Zimmerman stuff was actually handled well mm-hmm. because it was folded into the plot, you know, in terms of Maggie and her drinking and the way she handled that situation. It was folded in inorganically. And also because it was recent enough and obviously recent events, it was still relevant, which is, I think, probably the first time that's happened. So mm-hmm. that's good. Everything kind of came together. And yes, the Olivia Munn story was was great. Uh, and, and
2: I I, I, I love the meta elements of it. I love I love that they dealt with that and allowed. I mean I don't know how she feels about this, but it seemed like she she really dove into that performance, and it, maybe this helped her kind of process and deal with some of the well, emotions I with that.
1: I didn't know anything about that when I was watching the episode. Mm-hmm. I heard about that like this morning. Yeah, I thought oh well that makes sense, but I didn't. It didn't inform what i thought of the i thought it was a just a nicely handled plot line where the emotions all felt real and her scenes with don were great thankfully never tipped into not i mean there was a slight tiny tiny hint of the romantic stuff which even that i could have done without but it for this show very very subtle and i'll also <laughs> say that uh it was one of the uh, people love to heap praise on Jeff Daniels. I think he's very good, but I never think about his performance on this show. And this was mm-hmm. one of the few episodes where I actually noticed how good he was.
2: Yeah, yeah. As far as the like, I wasn't up to date with the Olivia Munn stuff either. It just sort of was something I remember this. You know, when I was reading reviews, to people talking about it afterwards, I was like, oh yeah, that's right, that was the thing that happened. But uh, I thought, thinking back on it, it added a really interesting meta element to the discussion. And I also, um, I don't know. If the show agrees with this or not. I think I feel like the show may be agreeing with Don, where he's saying, why do you keep choosing men like this? But I, I, I mean, I thought what I was getting from those scenes was very much what she, what Sloan is saying, where it's like, they aren't men like this until they're men like this. They seem like she, he seemed like he was really great and fine. And I, if, if, if I thought he was going to do something like this, I would never have gone out with him. And just like the and the, the, the brief discussion of gender politics, I felt like it was interesting and and handled lightly enough that though the show may have started to dip into its characteristic chauvinism and quasi-misogyny, it, it steered away from that enough that I can hopefully think that maybe the show's on Sloane's side of that argument as opposed to Don's. Uh,
1: I think... I don't think it really matters what side the show is on in this instance, because I bought that conversation from a character perspective. Like I can see mm-hmm. being in Don's shoes and wondering why does this keep happening? I would never do this. Mm-hmm. you know. So like, he does, and he, you hear him try to steer away from blaming her in any way. Like he kind of, he, he
2: starts his, blaming her and
1: then he, and then himself. he
2: stops. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something you do in that, that
1: situation. Yeah. Um, you may I'm sure we've all been there with someone at some point. So, uh, and yeah, that was a, just a very nicely written and performed scene. So I'm going to give Aaron Sorkin some props for once. Cause I thought yeah. everything about that was well handled. So yes, more of that, mm-hmm. more of that. Or yeah. be really, really bad. Cause I like that too. <laughs> that would be good too. What you a do. novel idea. Have the newsroom be good. Yeah. And
2: then uh, the other thing with, with that is just, I loved, I know it's, Cheesy or whatever, but it's so delightful—the the little revenge fantasy at the end, and it's in that it's all from her. Like he's there to talk to, and I believe that it, you know, because people were upset that that it was again a guy being the like saving or fixing the the broken girl. But I didn't see that at all. I saw. She he's the closest thing she has to a friend that she would talk to about this stuff uh, on the show. Maybe Mac Mac was busy with the show, so she couldn't talk. Um, And so I really bought that 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 he was be the one who was there for her to talk to. And that at the end, it's all her. It's all from her regaining her confidence and her agency and everything. Not Don somehow stepping in the way that that uh, Jim keeps stepping in for Maggie constantly. On the show.
1: Right. Well, and I don't, uh, and I'm so glad it doesn't seem like we're going to do any sort of, oh, are we going to take her off the air because of this? Yeah. You know, draw? Like it doesn't seem like they're going to go for that at all. So that would be, it would, if if it's, you know, obviously it'll inform her character in the future, but if that's more or less all the dramatic elements mm-hmm. straight we get for that in this episode contained, great.
2: Great. Let's move on to the bridge, the beast. And this has got to be the best episode they've done. Right. Yes,
1: it's two straight series bests although uh, that's a bigger deal for newsroom than it is for the bridge since the bridge is still young it's funny because we expect instant greatness from good shows <laughs> like mm-hmm. especially from fx like the americans arrived fully formed and we were happy about that um and uh and so when a show takes a little while to find its legs we're just like oh come on show just be good now <laughs> even though it's insanely difficult to make great television like we take these things for granted and I'm not saying that the bridge is going to be 100% peachy keen from here on out. I think they've still got some stuff to iron out, and it could be better. Uh, but I thought this was uh, definitely a, a, a big improvement. I liked pretty much every aspect of this episode.
2: I was uh, – the one part of the episode that I was less interested in was the uh, the, the young girl – in her right. excursion, I really didn't care about that, but then at the, the way they bring it in at the end, I was like, oh, okay, now that makes sense, and I assume we're going to spend more time with her in the next couple weeks, and therefore, I'm that's cool. I'm cool with that part of the episode now, retroactively.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because uh, uh, I was like, oh my god, another plot line, really? Uh, I would say, if I have an, an issue with anything, is I still have no idea where they're going with the Annabeth Gish thing, or where... How that's gonna be, important. but Bobby
2: Cobb is here. So I'm, Bobby
1: Cobb is here. Yes,
2: as, and until the show, you know, establishes for some reason why that can't be the case, that's the meta commentary I'm going with. This is yeah. this is not, uh, you know, her new friend from Tampa. This is her new friend from Tampa, Bobby Cobb.
1: Yeah, there you go. Um, it's, let's see, everything that happens with the case. I I, I liked uh, clear. I think they have pretty clearly established that it's a guy i i don't think yeah. without some serious the killing bullshit, level bullshit <laughs> which i don't think fx is really going to go in on at this point um without that i think it's pretty clear that it's a guy i i I think the the cop's idea is probably going to be consistent i don't think it's going to be ted levine i'm just going to get that out of the way
2: it I- could be there I, th- I feel like they're trying to make the voice sound like it could be him but i don't know that the necessary. i'll be upset if it is
1: I would be extremely surprised if it was. I think it has to be someone younger, but the and I don't think it's a character we've seen yet, to be honest. Uh, yes, but which then or,
2: why aren't they showing us who it is? Ah, but because that's they don't want us peeve. to. Like, you,
1: and I liked, I even liked all the stuff with Jono this week. Thomas M. Wright and his character. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, and his body disposal hilariousness. That was a, a, the the sort of Cohen y humor coming in, and his reaction when the body falls in the car instead of in its proper place Uh, and i loved oh my god the opening scene with the cartel and their discussion of serial killers that was so perfect and priceless and exactly what i've always been hoping for from the show with this perspective just looking at you know what what is a serial killer? oh it's someone who kills a lot of people i do that (laughs) yeah but you don't enjoy it just that uh that's uh, that's so great, and I, I and just it's such a great way to that that should have been a conversation that happened in the pilot because it's such a great way yes. to show us the what a different sort of perspective we're looking at in terms of the scale of crime and and just sheer brutality that we're that that uh, you know Juarez is looking at like that that we needed.
2: Yeah, and and when we're looking at these. Uh... If we're going to be continue to follow these uh, baddies, as it were, the cartel in in uh, Juarez, I think we needed to see them more in the pilot or much earlier, at least, to have this, like you said, this conversation to have it much earlier on. Because uh, and then the ca- contrast the cartel side of things and that would connect the uh stuff in more, you know, more succinctly, and then also follow the cops but yes that conversation and also i think that obviously the creators can't have anticipated the landscape that this show would be airing in where with where it's just like an explosion of serial killer shows right now uh and so t- having this discussion is separating themselves in their you know what they're trying to what story they're trying to tell from the myriad of other crime procedurals or or serial killer very uh you know serialized uh, uh, shows that are on right now so they they can't have predicted that um but if if they had it would have been nice i guess
1: <laughs> yeah but you know but i i just love like like sitting in the audience and like look this is not dexter okay yeah <laughs> like, yeah exactly this this may not be real but it's a whole lot more real so get used to that and uh, we haven't even mentioned uh, the stuff with kruger and uh, bashir this week which i thought was all great uh, yeah, their, the the dinner sequence was so priceless. It was
2: wonderful, <laughs> yeah. And I and
1: I think Kruger's performance gets better every week. I think they do a better job of reconciling her. And she does a better job rather of reconciling the her Asperger's uh, symptoms tendencies with being an actual person.
2: Well, and I think the show is also using her better and using that performance better it, with its its writing, but also the direction and how they're staging the scenes. You know, like I don't know how much for me at least i don't know how much the performance has shifted uh i just feel like the other characters are more comfortable around her and you maybe even it's just the performers or you know how, where they're putting the the beats the dramatic beats and comedic beats with her character are working better for me um but yeah i definitely the, the whole that that character and the portrayal of that character in the her world has drastically improved
1: definitely and the, the way pilot. she does her job also we are seeing we're getting a better impression of and it feels like it makes more sense than it did certainly in the pilot mm-hmm. and uh, and they didn't sleep together which was so great of course oh, they didn't was, sleep together i was so worried though when that happened <laughs> and i love ted levine's like the one the, that's the one thing mainly that makes me think it's not ted levine was his eyebrow raising yeah when, when he watched like why would a guy who's going around killing killing that yeah. many people care about the romantic lives of other people
2: yeah, that's true. And I actually think that's one of the things that the show really could benefit from is more comedy. Just a couple more beats like that in a given episode and Ted LeVine can do that. Give it to him and he'll he'll knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. So so I'm hoping we'll get just, you know, it's it's a very serious show. A little bit more comedy would not go amiss, as far yeah. as I'm concerned.
1: And this was probably the funniest episode, and it, it really benefited, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I mean, just more dinner scenes like that, and uh, I'm a happy viewer, certainly. Definitely. Well, uh, obviously, accepting Breaking Bad, which will be in our spotlight coming up here, what wins your week in drama?
1: Uh, I'm going to give it to The Bridge for having their best episode yet, but with an asterisk next to the newsroom saying, good, keep it up, please. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll concur concur with that. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And um with that we'll take a break and come back with our spotlight on Breaking Bad premiere uh Blood Money. <laughs> Our spotlight this week is the return of Breaking Bad, uh, episode 9 of season 5, or episode, really episode 1 of season 6, but whatever, Blood Money, and there was just an unending mountain of hype, really, for, or anticipation, maybe I should say, as opposed to hype, for this premiere, and, uh, well, we both already talked about it, we thought it lived up.
1: Yeah, I think for the first uh, 55 minutes, I was thinking this was a very good premiere, this is Ticked all the boxes I would have liked And didn't piss me off at all Some contrivances here and there But not too bad And then Garage door went down Yeah Just goddamn. That was That was one of the Like when the show's over It's going to be really hard to compile a top 10 Holy shits And we have no There's probably at least 10 more coming in the next Mm -hmm. 7 episodes Yep but if that's not in there, I'll be shocked. That was such a smart play yeah. for the show. Holy crow.
2: Yeah. And uh, even aside, we'll talk about the rest of, of the episode, but yeah, let's dive in with the end here. And what I love about that se- sequence or that scene is that it works on so many levels. It, everything is executed beautifully from the, the performances. I mean, which, I mean, I think Dean Norris matches Brian Cranston blow for blow there. And that's not an easy thing to do. And it works for the, it works on a performance level. It works on a character level, but it also works on a sociological level too. Because for me, that is a scene about masculinity and about different options and different role models that people in our society have right now. And what is a man is Hank right. in his more violent approach is Walt right in his more measured, controlled reaction. Like I loved that scene.
1: Well, and it's not when you're talking about definitions of masculinity, which I hadn't thought much about the, there is Hank's violent approach versus Walt's, you know, not violent approach, but there's also, you know, who controls, Family who gets to yes, be the family man exactly, and Hank, you know, basically says, "Bring the kids, and then we'll talk about what we will or won't be doing." And Walt is not having it. Yeah, and now that that's a fascinating position to be in because as much as the show is about principally Walt and Jesse and Hank, I'm kind of interested in their fates, but I'm actually more curious about what happens to the people around them. Like, what happens to Skylar? What happens to Holly and Walt Jr.? What happens to Marie, especially? Like, what's... Go- are they just going to be human detritus in a few episodes? Like, is that where this is headed? And I have no idea, and that's something that I... Uh, like, I, I when the last... When the first half-season ended, I had so many issues with the way that was paced and with what the show seemed to be saying about what how it was going to be handling its endgame, and this episode can... You know, like, I, I was sure we get—we would get we- it was going to be another four or five episodes until we got this scene. Mm-hmm. I was sure of it. I was sure we were going to get a whole lot of Hank being a terrible liar and working in his garage and piecing shit together and having to hide stuff. And then when Walt turns around and doesn't leave, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to go full on nuclear and it's going to be amazing.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it was... Yeah. It was it was great. And exactly like you said, it's because they're both heads of their families. Right. And they're both. And when they're talking about our family, this is going to ruin our family. You see that struggle between these two immutable forces. And I love that they don't try to pretend that Hank is sneaky because he's not. He's a bulldog. Yeah, he's a terrible
1: liar. It's a he's a terrible, terrible
2: liar. liar. he's That's not his strength. And and to, to watch it it feels very much like. This is good. This is they're setting this up to be a struggle for the soul of this family. And I Mm -hmm. love that. Oh, man. Apparently I need to watch Brotherhood because that apparently is what Brotherhood's all about.
1: But Dean Norris is so good in this scene that I kind of wanted to watch Under the Dome this week. Don't do it. (laughs) That's how good he is.
2: Don't do it. Uh, But no, (laughs) I just it's. And And I don't care about Holly, she's an adorable baby, whatever, but I do care about Walt Jr. I do care about Skylar. and I really care about Marie. I thought Br- Betsy Brant was great in her like two scenes or whatever this week i I always love her performance it's It's not flashy but it it's so necessary and um well and i the,
1: my, another my other big curiousness is how is Hank going to react when he finds out that Skylar is complicit mm-hmm. to a large degree?
2: How long is it going to take? him to figure that out because it shouldn't Next take week, long. Next week, I bet. Yeah.
1: Next week. Uh, I, I don't know how, but, and I've, and I also have been reading the, the theories about where the season's headed based on certain visual clues. And that's also yeah fascinating.
2: Lots of really fun. And I blame, I blame Tom and Lorenzo and their uh, mad style write-ups, but I totally. was, I was overanalyzing the costuming choices left and right here.
1: And I have to love someone made a gif and I'll, I'll keep this brief of, um, one shot of, of Walt with hair and his glasses on. Mm-hmm. And then another shot of Holly drawn and someone drew some glasses on her face. <laughs> <laughs> Say, look! <laughs> but anyway. No. Uh, yeah. So, let's, so we should talk about some other scenes. Um, the I, What what they did with Jesse this week made sense. I don't think it blew anyone's socks off. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought it was a good way to get he and Walt in a room together. Which I'm sure is the last thing Jesse would ever want. Um. So that made sense. That scene was great, just the way he could barely get words out, and the way he just knows that every word from Walt's mouth is poison. He's the only one who knows that he's always lying. Always, always, always. And no matter how... And and at a certain point, both of them know it, and it's unacknowledged, and that was great.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the, the Jesse scenes are the ones that worked the least for me, which... Uh, I, this is an episode I loved, so I mean that's not saying very much. But the I, the thing I the tr- trouble I have with Jesse right now is that I thought it was very important to establish for those who haven't been rewatching at all where he's at to start this last ba- batch of episodes. But I don't need to see more of this from Jesse. In in the next episodes, I, I need to see something different. So if he's going to be in the same mental state, that makes sense. It fits for his character. Absolutely. But I don't need to spend more time with that. So until he, something is changing for him, uh, we can just like kind of check in with him a scene a week or just not even see him until... You know, other things start changing around him. But I thought the performance from Aaron Paul was great, and it's just I was starting to worry because he you, he so clearly wants to believe Walt. He wishes he could believe Walt, but he knows he can't. And so I was starting to worry in that scene until that last shot of him looking away, where I was like, oh thank God, thank God he's not buying this. But my question is, if he doesn't, if he isn't buying it, and and every word from from Walt is poison, why doesn't he go to the cops to get walt taken out if he's so guilty about this kid
1: i think that jesse doesn't it's hard for me to explain but the level of just intense self-hate that jesse feels i think he feels like he needs to take everything on himself which is why you know we get everything with the money and eventually throwing ten thousand dollar bill wads out the window you know to to go to the cops and have someone else try and fix what he's done i think to him would be a cop-out so to speak uh i I think that he and that's the also the reason he hasn't just killed himself is I think that on some level he feels like he needs to just live and keep punishing and punishing because mm-hmm. otherwise there's no point yeah um so that it's a, but it's a tricky thing to try to understand or explain
2: uh we do if we're talking about Jesse, we have to talk about Badger and skinny Pete because yes, have you seen that animation that somebody put up of of his
1: fanfic or sorry his no, script i I haven't, but it doesn't surprise me at all. It
2: was a thing of beauty. I loved that. I, I In my recap, I compared it to the Patton Oswalt Star Wars filibuster from Parks and Rec. Uh, I, I thought it was just hilarious and so wonderfully played by, by Matt Jones. And I'm sorry, the actor's name escapes me who plays Skinny Pete, but just, I, I loved that scene so much.
1: I love that those characters had the most dialogue of any people in this episode, other yeah. than maybe Saul. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love Saul's entrance with just, just the arm like oh yeah that's, <laughs> look at that shirt that's that's my fucking Saul right there uh that was a great scene and i and i i loved his his take on as soon as the lawyers start dropping i'm out that's yeah. where i draw the line that was that was so great uh and yeah Huell. always always nice to see Huel.
2: Mm-hmm. and can we talk about some of the music choices because uh we can
1: i oh god the song choice
2: in the waiting room, it's, it's like, what is that? Like slide guitar, Western guitar, Battle mm-hmm. Hymn of the Republic, glory, glory, hallelujah. I mean, I thought it was just, just hilarious. And, uh, you know, you have, uh, all sorts of just different, really fun choices. It just, just, I was watching this and hearing the, um, the the montage with with Hank kind of figuring everything out here in the music choice I'm like oh that's right I'm back to the the part of the televerse where I don't even need to to work to have great music from the the weeks TV to spotlight I mean oh I love the, I love the the music choices
1: on this show some really interesting editing choices throughout as well in that cold open which is also amazing and we still haven't talked about that mm-hmm. Uh, with Heisenberg on the wall, and how is that possible? And the foreclosure, and the hair, and... Yeah. Uh, uh, and Carol. Yeah. Oh, Carol.
2: Is that... Okay, <laughs> is Carol the same neighbor who he sent into the house when he wasn't sure if it would explode?
1: I, I'm not sure. I didn't need her to be someone I'd seen before, because yeah, the it doesn't matter. Was, but was so good. And I love that they got just a bro- such a broad moment of comedy into this extremely dour opening uh that that was great uh and what does he need ricin for if he's got a bunch of guns and uh anyway, ah, yeah. uh, so many questions, so many questions. My theory is that the Ricin is for himself, but anyway, there's a shot where uh after he gets the rice cigarette, he sort of stands up and he's there's some i don't know what the effect is exactly, but he looks in the mirror and it's kind of distorted. The mirror's been it, broken the mirror's been broken, but it the, it's you, you don't just see broken glass, you see just a a a strangely contorted image that was a very startling moment and i love also the cutaway during that great hank montage to his uh to the schrader (laughs) brown uh the the image of him with the beer like well that's how far hanks come was he used to be that guy and now he's this guy yeah such a great way to show that in in half a second
2: well, something you talked about in your review over at Sound on Sight that, of course, I absolutely agree with, uh, but that that really struck me while I was watching this is we always talk about Justified and how we love how it knows how awesome it is. I loved how how aware this episode was and in the writing and the direction, uh, some of the performances as well, but especially in, in the editing choices and, and the direction of of its role in the show's run that this is the the final premiere we're all going to get to watch and everybody's totally excited and it also it, it spends plenty of time showing us where how far we've come where where you know where we're at this is the 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 final push to to the end of the story and something like that showing you know the original start original flavor hank to where we are now the uh patience the deliberate patience that no other show on television does like breaking bad of of him of Walt walking through the house and we see the vent we look through the one room and we see the vent in in junior's room where he was stashing the money and we see the baby's room and we remember when they were painting that and we see the crawl space and then we go in and we're like what? and like he's getting changed out of his pocket i'm like what is he what, what? and then he takes a coin and then, then we we see the uh the uh outlet cover i'm like holy shit it's the ricin that's why and he just the, just the deliberate callbacks to all these really memorable moments in the series run without putting a, you know, without drawing a neon line or yeah, circle yeah. around it, just really living in each moment, giving the push into the door, which I didn't recognize the room at first. So I'm like, okay, wh- when are we? Where are oh, we? Oh, yeah,
1: I-, I knew immediately. And I knew, I love that they took like 10 what's felt like 10 to 15 full seconds of just just pushing it like give him a second Well, as they <laughs> pushed
2: in you know i got to you know you could see the pictures on the wall better and so like when i'm watching this so i didn't recognize the room right, right away and they push it and you, then you could see the pictures but i'm like okay wait that's that's skylar and Walt. oh shit that means that this is we're back to where we left off and it's gonna be hang- and they gave it just the right amount of space and oh
1: yep Great move, and we hey, props to Brian Cranston who directed yeah. the episode. he did
2: a great job. Can you imagine giving that performance, you know, in this and where he's at, where you know how detailed that performance must be at this point while also directing? Yeah, all of this, directing that that garage scene while you're in that garage scene.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I read a little bit about how that scene was done, and they. they The scene was originally written a little bit differently, and it's sort of a little bit more directly confrontational in some ways, and shot differently as well, and they made some very clever and interesting choices on that one. And yeah, I mean, I just, I had some misgivings about where the show left off, but at this point, I am no longer concerned about most of those. I'm just so, so very excited to see the rest of this.
2: Yeah. Um, I I do want to mention, since I talked about earlier, the costuming. We have Skylar and Walt in whites and neutral tones throughout the almost the entire episode. We see Jesse in dark colors. We see Hank in dark colors. We see Lydia in dark colors Uh, inside, you know, just the the contrast there of um, and, and of course of Skylar and Walt. They're on the same page at this point and so they're they're dressed together i think uh, anna Gunn's never really looked better on the show i think she looks great and they're they're dressing her to look good too they want her her to, to to look good as well but just that uh that you know that synchronicity of their costuming and then the fact that everybody that walt is with is wearing all dark colors
0: mm-hmm.
2: i thought was was really striking and uh yeah, very interesting choice. We did. We haven't talked about the cancer. The cancer's back. Is it though? He's in chemo. Yeah.
1: Is it though? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's back. I mean, I don't know if it's actually terminal. He may have lied about that. Yeah. It doesn't. Doesn't seem. I mean, I don't know. I the. I'm not that interested in the cancer part. To be honest, mm-hmm. I don't think the show is going to end with him dying of cancer. No. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I mean, we see him in the future and he's got hair. That could be he's off chemo. That could be remission. uh, That could be any number of things. So Mm -hmm. there's nothing definitive. Uh, And but I, I mean, I like that they're bringing cancer back because it's where the show started. Yeah. But it's not to me like a super interesting part of where this is headed.
2: Okay. Any other elements we want to touch on other parts uh, with Hank or with Marie or with I mean, we haven't mentioned the you're the devil as. Uh,
0: oh, <laughs> yeah. my God,
1: I love that so much. That was great. Uh, I, I don't ever need to see Lydia again. Uh, I thought that there was a good good scene with Skylar that really shows where they're at. I feel like we're going to see a whole lot more magical in the next few episodes, and I hope mm-hmm. that's handled well uh, because they're not, again, not the most interesting part of the show to me. I think that's about it. Jesse Plemons is in the credits, but wasn't in this episode. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming Todd, creepy, creepy Todd, will be uh, coming back at some. uh, Maybe he might be uh, Madrigal's cook, and he can't get it up over 68%. Uh, So I'm assuming that that's how Jesse stays involved somehow as Madrigal gets to him. Uh, How they could recruit him at this point, believably, I have no idea, unless they threaten to shoot Epic in the face or something. Uh, <laughs> those who
2: don't know, that's uh that's not actually a character on the show. That's yeah. that's who Emily Rios played no. on uh Friday Night Lights. But of course she's Jesse's former girlfriend, living girlfriend on the show. Yeah, the, the the thing for me I don't I mean, Lydia I thought was it was nice to see her here, um, just to, to watch her interact with Walt and uh and then really to watch her interact with Skylar. But uh I, I would love if the Heisenberg wasn't related to Magical at all, but was uh, Fring's buddies from what chile argentina yeah that's what i would like to see but i i have a feeling that's not that's not the case but anyways we'll we'll see what happens with it
1: yeah uh, oh and lo- last thing i'll mention is i love in that hate montage when he's going back over the evidence and it's suddenly so obvious
2: yeah <laughs> so he looks at the the, the the drawing he's like i mean he's got to have seen that hat right
1: before yeah, i think so and it's like and it's just like i can't see the dumbfounded face yeah. i'm making but and, and it and it makes sense for the character i mean it makes sense for anyone in that situation to not see what's right in front of you so i didn't have trouble buying that at all
2: yeah oh i wanted to mention last well, this would be my last thing the skateboarding at the top i loved that and then i'm like okay i have no idea where we are what's going on then you see just kind of through the that they're in the pool i thought that was because did you figure that out
1: yeah. I mean not immediately, but after a few seconds. I was like, Oh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. So much visual flair and like I said earlier, nobody does tension and patience the way that, that Breaking Bad does. So yeah, I was with you too, where I, I was disappointed by the first half of season five, but I am ready to go for the rest of this uh season. Definitely. Before we finish up Breaking Bad, we had talked about this earlier and if we're gonna do it now's the time. quarterbets. For Breaking Bad. So what are our predictions? We have, we'll have we have a list of predictions here and we have to say what we think. And listeners, we would love for you to join in and we'll see who wins, guessing how Breaking Bad is going to end. Uh, we're starting with the death pool, yes? Uh, well, I
1: actually wanted to put together a really complicated death pool where I made a list of every single character. Mm-hmm. And everyone would have to guess uh, when or if if they would die, if they survive. And you say so that you get a point uh if they die you guess the episode get a point guess who does it get a point uh guess the fact that they die get a point uh but then no one wanted to do that,
2: i so want to do that like let's do that right now and yeah. our listeners yeah, but- can write in this week and and you know and there will be a, a prize i don't know what it'll be but there will be a prize uh,
1: okay uh well, well you know we're, i guess we're not going to know for another six weeks but okay um quickly skylar dies
2: no, no, um, no, 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 Let's, let's be organized about this, because I made him retentive. So, okay. go down the list. Walt, live or die?
1: Dies, last episode, I'm going to say explosion.
2: Okay, dies, uh, last episode, um, actually I think it's more fun if he lives, but I feel like he kind of has to, in the most, he's going to try to go out in glory and he's going to die in the stupidest way ever. So he he doesn't get the satisfaction. That's what I'm going with. So
1: raw meat poisoning.
2: Something like that. Uh, We have. uh, Let's go. Let's go through the Whites first uh, and the the family first. So Skylar
1: Uh, dead. Something. Walt chokes her to death in episode six or something.
2: Okay. Dead. Uh, actually, I'm gonna say she makes it out. I'm gonna say she. I'm gonna say she lives. Okay. Walt Jr. and Holly will pair them. Oh, they live. They both live. Okay, Uh, then let's go with Marie.
1: Marie lives. Marie's gonna live. Marie's gonna
2: live? Okay, Uh, I want her to live, and I think she's gonna live. It would be fun if she died, just because I think Betsy Brandt would knock that out of the park and uh, I would give her more to do, but I'll go with Liv. Okay, I'll go with Liv. Um, Hank.
1: Hank lives. Hank mo freaking lives for sure. I want
2: uh, Hank to live.
1: I think Hank definitely lives, but you don't think he lives? I,
2: I, I, I'll, I'll say either he lives or he dies, but he brings down Walt and, you know, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say he lives. By the way, I'm going to say Skyler lives, but is in jail at the end.
1: Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. So now let's go down the, the other side, the other family, as it were, Jesse. I,
1: from, from here on, it's going to be mostly living. I think Jesse lives, uh, not well, maybe, but I think he lives.
2: I think he lives, but he and he, and he leaves town and he like just get, you know, starts over, over or something. OK, Saul.
1: Saul lives. Saul lives. So who's going to want to kill Saul?
2: Well, it depends if you think the Better Call Saul spin up talk is all BS, but I, I'm going to say lives. He's a cockroach. OK, okay. Um. then Todd.
1: Todd dies for sure. I think he's dead by episode five.
2: Okay, dead. Uh, and now we have uh, Lydia.
1: Lydia, ooh, uh, I think she dies. I'm gonna say episode also five. It's episode five is a big episode for dying. <laughs>
2: I say Lydia's dead by like episode three. I think she, I think I think yeah, they're coming for her. Okay, who else do we have that we have not gone? To, uh, do we want to say the uh, the Saul? Crew, the minions, so Huel and the secretary. Do you think they're going to be affected oh. by any of this?
1: <laughs> They'll be fine. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any tertiary characters who might go. Uh, have, any other?
2: There's also Gomez. There's, you know, there's some others.
1: Uh, I could see Gomez kicking it, but probably not. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that that uh, that about does it. Okay,
2: so now uh, <laughs> Carol, Carol will be fine. Um, so mm. the uh, next, let's say, number of explosions
1: explosions uh wow this is gonna be plus or minus one I'm gonna say we're gonna get six more explosions
2: okay we haven't had a, a, any in this premiere right I know okay just making sure I didn't miss something huge uh, yeah so so we'll have um I'm gonna say we're gonna have three three explosions it's very conservative it's conservative okay shootouts
1: I'm gonna only say two shootouts
2: okay I'm gonna, I like that. And this is also, this will be plus or minus one as well. Uh, I will, I will say, I'll say three. I'll say three. Okay. How long before Hank, does Hank, uh, go to his buddies at the police, uh, to, to, to bring down Walt, or does he run his own operation?
1: I don't think it happens. I think, uh, I, I think he's gonna stick to himself.
2: Okay. Um, I think... He will, I'll say, I'll go the other way. I'll say that he, he, he calls in, I'll say he calls in Gomez.
1: Okay. Uh, I could, yeah, but that, that's kind of a medium option. That's a median option.
2: So, I, cause I think, uh, cause he's not going to have, he might present his facts, but he doesn't have enough evidence because uh. Walt's well, been very careful. So I think he, that's the reason he doesn't go to the cops because he can't prove it yet. But I think by the end he does. Cause I think Skylar ends up in jail. So by the end he goes to the cops. Okay, that's me. Interesting. Okay, what else? What else do we have here? Um, how many more times does Walt Jr. eat breakfast on screen?
1: Uh, how many more episodes are left? <laughs> Seven? <laughs> Seven. So I'm gonna say uh, at least two.
2: Okay, I'm gonna go three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go three. Like ha- at least at least half of the episodes. Actually, that would be like three and a half. So I'll go. I'll say three on the conservative side. Okay. How many more car crashes?
1: I'm going to also go with 3 on this one. I'm
2: going to go I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to go with 1. Okay. Okay. Uh anything else? Oh, how many more times, if any, does chemistry salt save the day and and uh Walt gets out of something through the power of science?
1: One more time in the finale, for good measure.
2: Okay. Uh yeah, I'll say I'll say yeah, one more time uh plus or minus 1 and uh Actually, though no, this one is not plus or minus one. This is too specific. I think. Fair enough. Be, yeah. So I'll I'll say I'll say twice, but I'll say one will will be Jesse's idea and one will be Walt's idea. How many more times are we gonna see someone cooking meth?
1: Oh. I don't. We may not see that at all. I'm gonna go with zero.
2: Oh, see, I think we got to because of the magical stuff. And uh, and Todd, right? If Todd's the cook, I'm gonna say we're gonna see three more times of people of somebody cooking meth. And then the last okay. thing, how many montages? Oh, that'll at, be our final.
1: I'm gonna say at least six montages. At okay, least six, at least six. And like I could see the finale having a whole bunch of them actually. So I'm gonna say eight, eight montages. Eight
2: montages. I'm gonna. I'll go. We have seven more episodes. We had one montage this week. We had two, sort of, with the throwing the money out. Uh I'm gonna go nine. Nine. I'm going I think we're gonna have a lot of montage. So that oh the other one you do is uh final shot. What's the final shot of the show?
1: It's gotta be the desert. It's gotta be something Albuquerque. I don't think it's gonna be a character thing.
2: Okay. Yeah, I could see um I could see the final shot being do you think it's gonna be so do you think just desert by itself, no Jesse, no Skylar, just desert?
1: Just desert, and it would fit in with the Ozymandias marketing thing.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say it's uh a pan up across the desert. I like the desert idea. I'm gonna steal that. Um it's either a pan up across the desert from uh Walt Junior and Holly now with Hank and Marie. Um and uh, trying to rebuild their life, or it's Jesse driving off into the sunset out of the desert.
1: So that's six feet under style. Six feet,
2: yeah. Well, not dying, but you know.
1: Well, eventually though. Eventually. Okay, uh,
2: so that, that wraps up our quarterbacks. Let us know what you think, and I will. If you as, you have to let me know by Saturday, so either on Facebook or you can email us at thetelevision@gmail.com, and I will compile a list of everybody's predictions, and at the end we'll have a winner. And they'll win something. I don't know quite what yet, but that I think I think it's or fun. Win a quarter. I did this uh, with Battlestar Galactica with my buddies. when that we were starting the the final chunk of of that series, and it was a lot of fun to kind of look go back on our predictions later at
1: the end of the season. And, and who won?
2: My buddy Phil. I think it was Phil. The Phil or Brett was shockingly accurate. Like because we yeah. we didn't know who the final Cylon was yet. There was like all the stuff we didn't know, and he called like all of it like
1: did 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 he call the finale being mostly quasi-religious bullshit
2: the finale wasn't all quasi-religious bullshit i said
1: mostly he predicted
2: the thing about uh about earth he predicted the time period it ended in he predicted uh he he got some of the starbucks stuff right he got the final cylon right he got like and it was mostly just kind of crazy like he didn't have this like like, crazy, like, he didn't have it all planned out. He just kind of went with his gut, and it was uh, it was impressive. So, we'll see. I'm sure we'll get something like that from, from one of our listeners, if not our own brilliantly thought-out conclusions ourselves. But that wraps up our week in TV and our spotlight. A few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with Steph Smith of potential cast redemption cast and what's on with Stefan Des our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles you can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode leave us a comment let us know what you thought of the Breaking Bad premiere or any of the other comedies and dramas from this week or tell Simon about how he's so wrong about say you think he can dance only being good and not being amazing or you can say I'm wrong too if you would like. Of course, we have an iTunes M4A and MP3 feed for the podcast. M4A has chaptering. MP3 does not. You can leave us a rating or review there. Tell tell Simon that really he should cheer up. Or tell me I should be more dour either
1: way. Yeah, that would be refreshing. Why do I have to change?
2: <laughs> and, um, of course, you can also like us on Facebook and uh, follow all the different articles that are going up at Sun TV um, There and answer the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll. It was a contentious poll this week. It was it was a three way tie going into Monday night, so so yeah, we'll I'll have some new options for, up for that uh, pretty soon in the next couple of days, and of course you can always email us theteleverse at gmail dot com or hit us up on Twitter. I am at theteleverse. You are
1: at Sucker Howell.
2: And what's our question for the week, Simon?
1: Well, since we since I I mentioned Strike Back as like post Breaking Bad decompression watching, I was wondering if anyone else does that if they get through something really tense and they have to okay i need to loosen up with something else now
2: okay yeah let us know you know how to the most appropriate way to de-stress from breaking back because it's not going to be low winter sun
1: no no it's definitely not no one <laughs> wants to do that sorry amc yeah
2: so let us know what you think and we'll take a break come back with a clip and some music and talk with stephanie smith about charlie jade
0: we were living a lie a big lie They told us parallel universes couldn't exist, let alone that you could travel between them. The lie was dreamt up, packaged, and sold to us by the Vexcor Corporation. Cape City, a real company town, Vexcor's town. They decided war was bad for business, so they gave us peace in our time we all slept better, leaving the running of the world to the five big corporations. The most powerful corporation was VexCorp. This is where I lived.
2: Visions. Uh. This used to happen to me all the time.
0: I'd see places, things that weren't there, but so real. I thought I was losing my mind. My name's Charlie J.
2: back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik joined as ever by Simon Howell and this week at the DVD shelf we are doing a bit of a deep dive and we're talking Charlie Jade which is a short run one season Canadian sci-fi series from about 10 years back and here to help us uh, try to puzzle it out and those who have seen Charlie Jade will know what I'm talking about uh, is from potential cast and redemption cast and what's on with Stefan does. It's Stephanie Smith. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Now, for those who don't know what Charlie Jade is, uh, I'm gonna put that on you as the guest. Would you <laughs> That's fun?
0: Would you let our viewers our listeners know? Okay. Charlie Jade is it's a neo noir sci fi multiverse multidimensional show about a private investigator. And it's part. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing really well. Yeah,
1: all of those things so far are accurate.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a part dystopian future almost. Uh, there's a lot of um, commentary about corporate takeover and the the environment and what else? <laughs> I think that's enough to get us started. There, okay. There's a lot of themes,
2: obviously, going at play here. Why? Before we get ahead of ourselves, I'm going to put you in the hot seat again. Why
0: did you want to talk about Charlie Jade? Because not a lot of people know about this show, and I think that if you're a hardcore sci-fi fan, right now there's not a lot offered for, as far as sci-fi. So um, I think that... A lot of people would uh, be interested to to find out that this exists.
2: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And it's, it was one that I had heard of, and I had seen an episode or maybe two when I was in college uh, at the at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. There's a sci-fi club, Tech Front, where we watched a couple episodes, but we had trouble getting into it, so we you know, we were watching like Firefly and stuff. So, which is so much more accessible, by the way, if you're at U of I go check out tech front, they're awesome. But, but, but Charlie Jade is, it's really, I I think, especially coming back to it, you know, several years later now, it's really fascinating to me because there are elements in there that are very much ahead of their time as far as, you know, what would come in the next few years in sci-fi television. And then, and so there are certain things that are really interesting and really, um, just as a, as a bit of like a slice of underseen side sort of progression in TV genre programming, I think it's really interesting. And certain things are great, and certain things are just kind of really difficult and a little groan worthy every now and again. And so I think it's just, a, it's this really interesting show. Uh, Simon, had you heard of Charlie Jade before?
1: Despite the fact that it won a bunch of Geminis when it came out, that's the low rent Canadian version of the Emmys, for anyone curious. Uh, somehow I never heard of the show in my life until it was brought to my attention for the purposes of this shelf. This is an exceedingly bizarre show. This might be the weirdest show we've ever talked about on the, like, on, that we've ever shelved on the televerse, or at least it's certainly up there. Very strange. The, The best way I can think to explain it to a layman, and to me, everyone who watches this show is a layman, um, or who hasn't watched it, it's sort of like Fringe Squared. It makes Fringe look like Two and a Half Men. Mm-hmm. It's, you're talking about a show that, in the pilot, tries to establish three, not, not, not one, not two, but three realities. Is it only three, or is there four? No, there's three.
2: There are at least four, but one of them we only kind of glimpse a couple times. Right, so it's three main Alpha beta gamma.
1: Alpha beta the, the Alphaverse, the betaverse, and the gammaverse the uh, the betaverse is roughly correspondent with actually it is completely correspondent with our universe, but we don't actually spend any time there really until I believe the second episode. Uh, so you're the show makes all the, besides the fact that the show is extremely complicated, the show makes it harder on itself all the time. For instance, the pilot is set in not our universe. Uh, it's you know which is where Charlie Jade is from it's set in uh the alphaverse which is uh, basically like blade runner except green mm-hmm. and um and you know we meet a whole bunch of characters that we don't really spend any time with again for a while like for instance his uh, his sort of tech geek assistant and it's all incredibly disorienting i feel like it's not until the third episode that you start to finally feel like you're not I, like, the, those first two episodes, there's so much exposition, there's so much to establish, uh, a lot of characters, uh, and none, most of whom, like, you get the introduction from Charlie, like, Char- I, I, one of the things that helps, although it's also a hindrance, is that the Charlie Jade character is so clearly a type you've seen before. You know, he's the, the hard-nosed PI who doesn't live by the rules, he doesn't abide by the class system. Of the Alpha Verse
2: has a shady past.
1: He has a shady past. He's not uh, not unfamiliar with acts of violence. He has uh, a very pretty girlfriend, etc., etc. Like he's he he is a in a sense a good character for them to have at the beginning because he's the one thing that we don't need help understanding. And uh, so that aspect of the pilot works. Other than that, like the. I cannot emphasize enough just how insane it was that those two episodes were written and shot that way and then and presented to people in, in you know pilots are supposed to hook you and and the second episode second episode is supposed to follow up on that and it feels like they did everything in their power to confuse the hell out of everyone and I, 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 I actually kind of admi- I really admire the show's moxie even though its execution leaves quite a bit to be desired a lot of the time.
2: I think the the single biggest word for descriptor for this show for me is ambitious. I think it's an incredibly ambitious show. And uh, for those who thought Primer was really straightforward, at least in the beginning of of this this series, you're gonna have fun piecing it all together. I was trying to like do some laundry folding and you know stuff while I was watching. And it it did not work. You have no. to be paying attention. And um, but I think at least for me, we're we're maybe not being positive enough. I it is a, a sort. So of, it's a tough show to get into. You have to want to. You have to give it several episodes. You have to kind of go with it. And um, you know, if if it was if we if I was looking at the DVD, it'd be like watch the whole first DVD, and then decide if you're gonna keep going. But I do think that there's a lot of really fun stuff that they're doing. I, I, one of the things I enjoyed. Uh, as I was watching this, it was picturing the, the – because, of course, this is a Canadian and South African co-production. Picturing the American Network version of this show <laughs> was just sort of hilarious <laughs> and uh, amazing to me. Because we have we have in the – by the end of the pilot, and I guess spoilers, but it's, I'm not going to feel bad about spoiling this. By the end of the pilot, we have a character from the alpha – verse which is you know like you said simon is very um blade runnery and then we have a character from the gamma verse which is like it's more of a sort of paradise kind of version there's there you don't have like the pollution or the overdevelopment or anything so it's sort of like our world is in between those two extremes so you we have somebody from the alpha and the gamma stuck in beta and on the network version of this show or pretty much any other version of this show, by the end of the pilot, if not the sec, definitely by the end of the second episode, they would have met up and teamed up and maybe and probably had a sidekick kind of friend from Beta. And then that would have been our crime fighting team trying to get home and trying to solve these issues that are going on for the record
1: the network version of every series that is not a network involves crime fighting
2: yeah yeah crime there's crime fighting here too there's some standalone elements but and there would have been um just all sexual tension between the two leads and it would have been i so so just kind of and this doesn't do that at all i think it's it's like episode 10 before our two sort of main non-beta characters meet and and don't try to kill each other
1: yeah yeah, there's uh, uh, like like I said, they didn't. I feel like there was very little oversight on this show, which is good and bad. Like that, there clearly that there was the, there could have been quite a lot that could have clarified, been more concise with, been clear, you know, been expressed in a, in a more helpfully straightforward fashion, but at the same time you're right, you're not getting a lot of the cliches that mar other shows that are more predictable. So it, it's kind of a trade-off.
2: Well I kinda of love that a show like this can get made. Even obviously we're talking about a one season show here, but I, I I we watch so much television on the Deliverse, and Steph, I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And you know, having started watching the fall pilots and everything the number of of fall procedurals that are essentially the same show with window dressing. It's just and, and watching all the new, the new shows, watching catching up with some old shows. It is so refreshing to find a show that yes, it has its flaws, and it could use some better writing, and it's trying to you know it's really trying to do all this ambitious stuff while also holding the audience's hand, and it's not necessarily executed as well as one might hope. But it's so refreshing to find
0: a completely different, balls to the wall kind of crazy show. Yeah, yeah. every time the Sci-Fi Channel has tried to air this, it's moved it by the third episode. the The American audience just is not there for it, because Americans want action, want to be hooked immediately, like you said, and this. You have to just have patience. I think about, like, several times when I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, I could not... Get it. I did not get it. Finally, after about the fourth try, it all clicked, and I was able to appreciate scene for you know just one scene at a time. If you can just be patient with this show, just watch it, and so- soon it kind of starts to um repeat things like it shows flashbacks and not really like your standard flashback, it just kind of. It kind of just reiterates things and repeats things and shows you things you've seen before until finally it all clicks and falls into place and uh, and you kind of get it.
2: Well, it's really artistic in its use of some of these elements. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's especially with some of the voiceover and you can tell at a certain point they, they got some kind of note saying, come on. Help help the viewers out, um, but they, there's a lot of stuff like uh, there'll be two characters talking to each other, and the dialogue will continue over seeing a flashback, like a visual flashback of something else from earlier in the se- series, and then we'll go back, and the scene will still be continuing. But they, you know, there are certain things they do to to try to as you c- continue on, start piecing it together. But you're absolutely right; you have to be okay with not understanding what's going on for at least. Four episodes, I would say, of this show. And if that's going to bother you, do not watch this show. But if that's intriguing to you, like it was to me, you should check it out.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like this show. There must be a cult following for this show among network executives, mm-hmm. just as like a nightmare scenario. <laughs> just like what do we not want here? It's this. This is what we need to not every day. And I'm 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 not at all surprised to hear about the the reshuffling whenever sci-fi tries to air it. We, you know, we, but I think one of the other things that's also quite cool that we haven't even mentioned is the setting or settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- it's it's set in Cape Town slash Cape City uh, slash whatever they call it in the Gammaverse. I guess not really a city at all. And uh, it's it's just great to have... I mean, obviously it's a function of the fa- fact that it's a South African co-production, but it, it's just nice to have a series that's not set in New York or L.A. or... Or anonymous town, Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's that's also very cool. It has a sense of of otherness from that, and it's also at least for me, even though I don't think the cast is you know uniformly great or anything, it's it's always nice to to start a show that I never seen before and not recognize anyone. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. There there's stronger points and weaker points I think in the cast, and I think also some of that is down to, I would be surprised if the actors had any idea what was going on when they were when they were filming this unless maybe they had a meeting they talked to everybody said hey, here's what the world is here's what's going on you're supposed to know what's going on so now you do so you can help sell your lines i i do get a sense that for example the actor who plays owen boxer which is a character who can travel between universes and is like a sort of a different person in each universe it's very confusing who exactly mm-hmm. he is i don't know that the actor necessarily had a great Handle on that early on, and so therefore, it's hard to convey that if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. But, but we're looking at a show that was aired in 2005, and think back to Fringe in 2008 and how tentatively it very gingerly brought in the multiple universes element in, over the course of the first season before you know having that amazing first season cliffhanger. This is this show was just so. Again, bold. And like you said, Simon, the, having it set in South Africa gives it this. You know, there's a lot of really cool visuals. I, I love the visual storytelling in this show. But even just shots of the desert, you know, there's a lot of really. You know, there's, there's somebody who, who loved the filters maybe a bit too much for, for the colors. They're a little too dark. I have trouble seeing what's going on sometimes. But there's, there's, you know, the music is great. The cinematography, I think, for the most part, besides that filter issue, works really, works really well. I mean, this is a show you have to pay attention. You have to be watching it because they do a lot of storytelling through the, you know, visually, through, sto- through the use of the camera, through, like, kind of splicing in unrelated audio and video. I don't know. I think it's, it's just really interesting.
1: The, uh, since since we brought up the cast maybe or since I brought up the cast <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we should get into that a little bit I like you said I think there are stronger and weaker elements I feel like Charlie himself who's played by Jeffrey Pierce is kind of hit and miss for me I when the I it takes a few episodes another thing that takes a few episodes to work I think is uh he I found him just kind of a Nano handsome guy for, for a few episodes uh-huh. uh, and I feel like he, he, I don't think he's ever great, but I do think he, he. like the show itself, kind of grows on you a little bit. Uh, like I said, I, I think that the accessibility of the character and performance is a real aid, even though I don't think it's necessarily that distinctive in a lot of ways. I think probably the strongest guy in the cast, even though his character and um, hair choices can be problematic <laughs> sometimes, is uh, uh, Michael Phillipwich, uh who plays uh one Boxer. I don't no, I, I never got the explanation of why his name is O1. Because
0: he's an O1 because he's high class. Because but, he's oh, wealthy. Okay, right.
1: but, I, but the fact that they call him O1 I find strange.
0: Yeah. His, Boxer is his family name. Yes. Yeah. Now when, two years ago when we watched this for What's On With Steph and Dez, and I loved O one one Boxer. We were very taken with, with that character. <laughs> we really dug him. <laughs> because he's He's um, he's described as a uh, hedonist. He just does what he feels like. I guess when you're a person that can go from universe to universe, you just do what you want to do, and mm. um, you just don't ever know what he's going to do.
2: Oh, there's definitely an element of uh, the imp, I think, in, in 01. When we're singling out members of the cast, one of the people that really – worked wonderfully for me was actually patricia mckenzie as rena i think uh they don't always give her the 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 best storylines or or even dialogue sometimes but the actor really does her best to sell it and um some she gets a lot of really emotional stuff to work with yeah over the course i mean just looking at her arc she starts out you know where she is in the pilot and then uh, then she's like brainwashed into being a suicide bomber for a while. And then she's recovering from that. And because she, she has almost an entirely separate uh, story. You know, she's completely unrelated to what Charlie is doing, except that they both think the other person is working for the bad guy. So it takes a while to kind of come together, but the actor is given all this kind of crazy stuff to work with. But I pretty much always believed that central, character that what her experience how much it meant to her kind of really always worked for me even if i was kind of going really randomly saved by cancer lady (laughs) it's still you know her performance really did work and then by the time we get to the finale and she's making the decision decision that she has to make about what she's going to do about the link I was actually invested very much in her. The other character that I really invested in was actually Jasmine. I don't know that the show knew what they wanted to do with that character. That's Charlie's girlfriend in the Alphaverse Verse. When he gets stuck in Beta Verse, she—I believe she's like she, she's C three, so she's like a lower class. It's I, she's like owned by him to some extent, right?
0: I think so. I think he's like responsible for her. And then when he's gone, yeah. she's she has nobody to vouch for her or whatever. So she's on her own. Yeah. I really actually was
2: invested in that journey for her. I thought that the actress, you know, really made me care about what was going on with Jasmine. And um, there, I don't, it kind of meanders that storyline, but I like that it's not this, and it took me a while to kind of realize this, but it's not this like epic universe spanning, spanning love Situation between her and Charlie, it's a little more interesting and complicated than that. And by the time we get them back together, you know, in this sharing scenes and stuff later in the season, you know, I, th- I think that progression is actually really interesting. It's so much more interesting than I must get back to my lost true love.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. A- a- another thing, another network nightmare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't get <laughs> scenes together, and then when they do, it's not, ah. Yeah, just total headache. Yeah. Uh, I, I also I also like Tyrone Benskin, who plays uh, Carl Lipinski. Although I, I I did think it was a little bit silly that it took them an entire episode. Like the the way characters behave in the show is is exceedingly is another thing that's exceedingly strange sometimes. Like the 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 way uh, he Charlie and Carl first interact is so tentative, and it takes them a really long time. To piece, to even start, to maybe piece together what's going on, and Charlie is so like, that's insane. Nothing crazy is going on. <laughs> Just <laughs> his like, you know, you're clearly in another universe, and you keep trying to insist everything is okay.
2: It's way easier to think that when you're watching TV, though. It's true. Come on, <laughs> it's kind of nice that he doesn't go. Oh, it must be that I popped universes. That's the only logical explanation. I'm glad we don't. It takes, you know, there's some disbelief of that kind of thing for a while maybe it goes on a little too long but yeah i would agree that that relationship's a lot of fun i particularly enjoyed the episode um i want to say it's episode eight where where the the baddies for lack of a better term bexcore uh, find carl and basically uh like torture him and we have this uh, to to get information out of him and um oh sorry it's episode nine betrayal and then we watch carl kind of trying to deal with that and 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 then Charlie as well. I I really enjoyed that that kind of arc for Carl and how and again, spoilers. <laughs> I don't feel too bad about spoiling a show that's as complicated as this one. Um but we're we're kind of after a while Charlie's like, "Yeah, they tortured you. Of course you gave them gave me up. They tortured you." That's what happens? Everybody gives, give will give the, somebody up if they are being tortured. Let's move on past this. It's cool. I, mean, I just loved seeing, again, seeing that approach and to really watch that arc, but then have it not affect and like sort of change everything about that dynamic.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, and again, like it, there's a mix of smart and baffling character choices. And I, I think that when you met, actually, I think the, you mentioned the baddies who I think are kind of one of the major weak points for me, like the we have Essa, who is uh, what is her position at Vexcore exactly? She's sort of the, she's not the she's not the CEO. That's uh, that's O one's dad, but she's sort of like the, she's like Jodie Foster at Elysium. Sorry, it's in my brain because I just thought she's you know the, the, the overseer who make mm-hmm. make she makes things happen. And I don't know the 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 scenes that take place inside Vexcore just always feel. Straight up expositional to me, with no real color except generic evil. I would have liked for VexCore to be a little bit less faceless, but you know that's corporate culture for you.
2: Well, and it's also so stylized; it's heavily stylized that if you don't have the material and you don't have the actors to to really combat the the just how big and larger than life the style of that of the shooting and the, the the landscape around them is and maybe these actors are very capable and they just weren't given the material who knows cuz I, I don't know how much i i would I hesitate to say that the the performers aren't capable of better performances If you know, I because I don't, you know, I I would not be surprised to see these actors be very good in other things, just not really have a grasp of this world and these characters. But definitely the 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 amount of time that we spend with the higher ups at VexCore and some some of these recurring villainous people, without actually ever getting a sense of who they are, Uh, I don't even remember. I remember S's name, but I don't remember any of the other names. And we see a lot of faces on monitors, and that's a problem. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, but I will say that uh, you know I, I'm I'm thinking about Elysium still because it's another you know dystopian sci-fi thing with environmental disaster, et cetera, et cetera. I think the the ultimate good thing I can say about Shirley Jade is that it feels like it has a point of view. It feels like someone is thinking about what the show is about and what it's got to say, even if it's not always you know super straightforward about it. It, it feels like it's it's not just, it, it hasn't been assembly lined into existence. And whereas I think a lot of dystopian sci-fi efforts just forget to have a consistent ethical universe. And I feel like mm-hmm. this does. And that's really hard.
2: Well, and it's nice, at least for me, I felt like there was some, So it wasn't just uh, hammering me over the head with, you know, environment good, <laughs> technology bad, the way that, you know, maybe a show like this could Mm -hmm. become very didactic. Uh, there, there are elements of that there definitely, but it, it is, it's, it's sort of talking about elements of like environmentalism and climate change and all these different things, but while showing you kind of good and bad in each world. So you have, when you get to the end and there's a choice of, is one of these three universes going to be completely destroyed by this, this thing that's going, this link, um, and if that's the case, there's people, at least for me, there's people in each universe that I really care about and I want, I'm invested in it and do not want to see harmed, while there's also the big bads in each universe. So I actually think they did a decent job of, of balancing that and not just making it an easy choice of just get rid of Blade Runner land. Everybody's bummed out there anyways and <laughs> the bad guys all live there you know like there's i cuz there's people like SoSo and uh and and jasmine there that i was very invested in so i, I you know I, I think well yes there on the on a surface level it does seem pretty straightforward um and it's look at you know I, I like that water is the most important thing in all of this you know show as far as resources and everything um it it really I guess it sounds like faint praise, but it could be so much worse and mm-hmm. uh, and usually kind of usually kind of is. So it's nice to see that, you know, a little bit of a more interesting approach there. Do we have any uh, final thoughts or episodes or characters that we want to talk about or mention that we haven't yet You
1: mentioned the water thing that maybe the show would have been more successful if it had been called Space Chinatown instead of <laughs> instead of Charlie Jade. Uh, I I don't think I have anything else I, I breathlessly, like, insanely need to mention. But uh, I, I just want to express my admiration again for the fact that, uh you know, Canadian TV, I like to slag in it a lot. Sometimes we do things well. We do a lot of things very poorly. And I think the thing that's nice about this show is it doesn't have any of the meekness that uh, hampers a lot of Canadian TV, where we're making a warmed-over version of uh of something American, which means we're doing... mediocre thing poorly uh which it happens a lot which is why i slag it off and this is not that this is doing uh some very difficult stuff Uh, again not always with the smoothest of execution but it's not it's not the sort of milk toast mealy you know nonsense that we often produce
2: (laughs) Well, one of the things I want to make sure we talk about is, is the music, because I, when I was at Comic-Con, I went to a composer panel press room thing, and I got to talk to a bunch of different composers, and one of the people who was there was F.M. Lassier, the the uh, Montreal-based composer who did the music for Charlie Jade, as well as many other things, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him. He, did, he didn't bring him over to our table, and uh, I had, because when I when I looked at the list of composers and their credits and everything, I was put a big circle around him because of Charlie Jade. And I was glad to pop in the pilot and it opens with this narration, but this gorgeous melody underneath. And, and, um, I was I was glad to you know make sure find out that my memory of the music being really memorable and uh and very well used I would say and interesting was was in the fact correct at least for me. I really like the music here and um I thought it did interesting things with uh, apparently a, like a minuscule budget. I I can't imagine they had any budget. Like it says music composed and performed by. Mm-hmm. So i have a feeling that this one guy did all of the, played everything <laughs> that is on here composed everything but i actually i really like it and i, I think it gives such a distinctive style and especially i mean, maybe this is just a very white person saying this so maybe it's not correct at all but it did give feel like it put me into south africa
0: yeah and it had a futuristic feel to it and also the noir feel so it did yeah. evoke Several different things all at once.
1: It's doing a lot of heavy lifting for sure.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Without being, you know, capital letters, genre or or sci-fi. Like you don't have the we're in the future and it's dystopic, so we're gonna have techno all the time. Like it, there's, you know, a lot of really um, scenes work. You know that maybe the dialogue shouldn't let it work, but the music kind of pushes it over and lets you accept what's going on. Uh, so. Uh, if you're listening out there F M this year, good job, and I very much appreciate it. W- oh, maybe next year, if they do another one of these composition panels, I'll be able to to talk to you about Charlie Jade, but uh, I was very impressed with with Yeah, I think
0: here. that he is very talented. I, I watch Being Human, the U.S. Being mm-hmm. Human, and what he does with the music there is very special.
2: Yeah. Composition for television is a really interesting uh, field. At least, of course, I'm a you know, musician, me. I'm far more interested in it than I'm sure most of our listeners, but There's a lot of very mediocre to bad uh, TV scoring, at least from my hypercritical perspective. Mm -hmm. And so, whenever I find somebody like this who I can, uh, you know, kind of earmark and keep keep an eye on what they're doing, uh, because I appreciate their work and they they elevate what they're doing, it's always something that that I enjoy. So year is now on that list for me with like Bear McCurry and before he got famous and started doing movies Michael G. Aquino and some of these other people mm-hmm. Cause I think he is that good um, and I look forward to hearing more of his work And and really a lot of the production elements of the show, I think work very well, like the costuming and the set design and it's obviously it's zero budget, but I think they do. I mean, the show looks very distinctive and they do really get the, the difference of these different universes and they do, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to remember what this show looks like for a very long time. Definitely. Well, uh, Stephanie final uh, episodes you want to mention or storylines or characters or final thoughts on the show.
0: Just uh, the things that Rena goes through are just brutal mm-hmm. and terrible. And um, yeah, the artistic vision that these creators had for the show is amazing. And like I said, you just got to be patient with it. But if you are somebody who is confused at the sci-fi channel and wondering where the sci-fi is on the sci-fi channel in the mm-hmm. United States and can't find anything that um, satisfies your sci-fi need of television. Check this out.
2: Well, and uh, again, I want to stress, this was in 2005. Just looking here quickly at, at the Emmys, the Lost was on and uh, there was a good year. 2005 was a great year for for television with you know deadwood and west wing and all sorts of really good shows but looking at the kind of storytelling they're doing here the kind of things that they're exploring when you compare you know that this was going on and then fringe would come three years later and it just slow- slowly is getting into there 4400 was at the same time as this and just if you compare those two i, I like i very much enjoy the 4400 it has i think there's a lot of really great stuff and actually i look forward to doing a dvd shelf on that at some point but the kinds of you know choices that they're making here are just you're not going to see it anywhere else on television and stuff thank you so much for for choosing charlie jade because it you know forced me to reconsider this show that i kind of glimpsed a few years back but um it's so rare that that there's there is no other show that i can think of that is like charlie jade outside of basic plot elements you know and uh that's something for at least as far as I'm concerned. That's something to be treasured. Totally. So if you're looking for a new a challenge or uh, like I said earlier, if primer is is your bag and uh, you you're all about the hard like complicated sci-fi that doesn't necessarily make sense on first viewing, check out uh, Charlie Jade and uh, let us know what you think. So uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online?
0: Um, you can follow me. I'm at Steph Smith on Twitter. Um, potentialcast.com is where uh, our Buffy rewatch podcast is. And Redemption Cast uh, is our angel rewatch podcast. And what's on with com I think, is where our uh, television podcast can be found.
2: Cool. Well, everybody check those out. And again, Steph, thank you so much for coming on. Everyone, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.